Hey guys, and thanks for checking out this episode of the John Campia Show podcast, the audio-only version of the John Campia Show on YouTube. This episode was recorded on Monday, June the 15th, 2020, titled, Why Tenant Moved Its Release Date. And remember, if you're listening to this podcast, you can also get a comment or question on the live questions part of the show by simply going to the tip link in the description of this podcast, streamelements.com slash movieblogtv slash tip. You'll be getting your question or comment on the show and supporting the show at the same time. And for now... Let's get to the episode. You know, every once in a while, it's fun to talk about anniversaries of movies and you hear about the anniversary of a movie and you think, no way. Well, that happened to me uh, last night as I was looking over some things. And did you guys know that this week marks the 10th anniversary of Toy Story 3? It is the 10th anniversary. I swear it feels like it came out four or five years ago. I'm having a hard time wrapping my head around this. It was 10 years ago this week. To be specific, the actual date is the 18th, but this is the week of release that it came out. Of course, one of the highest uh, critically rated uh, wide release films of all time at 98%. It was absolutely amazing. It was only the third animated film in history to be nominated for best picture at the academy awards and by the way it hasn't happened since in the last in the last 10 years it was the last film to also be nominated for best picture at the academy awards something spider-man into the spider-verse should have been able to do but they didn't give it to it and, and whatever this was a movie that i remember a lot of people saying you don't need it why are they doing a toy story 3 toy story 2 was perfect and it was toy story 2 was perfect but it just goes to show you, if you've got a good idea for a story, don't let what happened before stop you. They had a great idea for a story. They went back to it. The The scene, it is one of my all-time favorite animated moments ever. The scene where they're all in the incinerator and they, they've now given up hope. They've accepted this is what's happening to us. And they look at each other, hold hands. I almost want a man cry whenever I think about that scene. Ten years! <laughs> Toy Story 3. Anyway, Aaron, uh, your thoughts on the 10th anniversary of Toy Story 3. You know, I love the fact that you brought up that they that there was, a, you know, questions of whether or not this should even exist. And you're absolutely right. As I love to say, it's all about the story. And if you don't have a good story, there's no reason to push through. But if you do have a good story, why would you not? Especially with such beloved characters. And clearly, if we didn't have a Toy Story 3, we would have never met Sporky. And what would we have done with Well, that was Toy Story 4. I know. That's what oh, I'm yeah, saying. If we didn't have Toy Story 40. 3, we would 40. not have had 4, which I absolutely loved. And I looked up what the other two works. I was like, what? I I'm shocked. Beauty and the Beast was the first one in 91. Yep. And then Up, which, of course, I hated because of the ugly crying that happened in the beginning, uh, was nominated in 2009. But I'm shocked that it took until 1991 for um, for it to happen. But I'm hoping that with the uh, rule of 10 films every year right. in the Best Picture category, I'm hoping that that really opens up some room for more animated features uh, to have those nominations yeah, when to they join deserve the ranks. It, but, I mean, a lot more nominated, a lot more animated animated films have deserved it over the years absolutely and just to get rob 10 years it's been a decade since this thing anyway your thoughts on the 10th anniversary of toy story 3 that was 20 percent of my life ago <laughs> <laughs> and uh, when you think about it in those terms it's like wow uh yeah it's you know and john uh, i've measured my life in terms of when how old i was when certain movies come out i've always done that and now i just realize 
I'm just that much closer to my death. <laughs> and and I, I I like the like like the toys in Toy Story Three about to what that conveyor belt of doom when they're going to be burned up or whatever. That's me. What, you know, that's you you know what makes that tells me you're getting old? You can, Rob comes in this morning. I'm like, dude, what's going on with your head up here? Was that a dog scratch or something? And this is what told me you're getting old. What did you tell me? I said, I don't know. <laughs> I, 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 I was I was cleaning up the observatory and building shelves and doing all this stuff. And and it's funny because this is a very uh, symmetrical. It, it's not like a scratch scratch. So I'm I'm thinking I banged it on. But I was banging around all weekend long. So I just don't know how this particular bang and that's pretty deep like that you, I, that's I, that's one that you would think that you would i know I, I, it looks like a, it looks like a cat or a dog like a dog was playing with you or something and yeah and i just maybe in your sleep do you ever i i've sometimes scratched myself in my sleep or scratched tom or yeah that, yeah that's your excuse like stabbed oh i must have done it when i was asleep <laughs> anyway guys the question is toy story 3 is turning 10 years old crazy what are your thoughts on toy story 3 can you believe it's actually been 10 years it feels like it's not that long ago jump down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts all right guys one more thing off the top for us to discuss and that is this you know of course the the primary story in the world but also particularly in our small little uh, world of movies and movie news, of course, has been the whole COVID-19 thing, shutting down movies, movies getting delayed. We're going to be talking about some delayed movies here in just a little bit. But of course, the movies just shutting down and not coming back. Now, we talked a little while ago that the first major film to make its return back to production was Avatar 2, which has gone back into production over New Zealand because they pretty much kicked this thing's ass. So here's hoping that they keep it that way. However, they've just announced the next big major film that is going back into production and is actually going to be the first film to go back into production, the first major film to go back into production in the UK. And that's Jurassic World 3 Dominion. Uh, they are actually going to go back sooner than you think. They're going to go back into production on July 6th. Now, according to the stories, they've actually spent somewhere in the neighborhood of $5 million to implement new on-set safety protocols between cleaning crews, employing an entire medical staff, uh, everybody showing up says going to be uh, you know getting their temperature taken every day, blah blah blah, and, and just they're taking it very seriously. Five million bucks they're putting into one set, wow. onto one set. But this is now another movie. We've already heard that Batman is going to be going back into production in the UK also very soon. Everything seems to be ramping back up at this point. Rob, let me ask you this: Do you think there's any significance right now? to Jurassic World 3, like being that first one out of the gate. I think they were only about four weeks into shooting by the time they got shut down. But is this a good sign for them? And, and what do you think, if any, is the significance of them being the first one out in the UK? Well, I think, you know, if something's going to be first, it should be dinosaurs eating people, <laughs> you know. And, and but, but, John, I keep thinking to myself, well, what does it matter? Because with all the movies stacked up, we won't be able to see this till like 2028 anyway. It won't get on the schedule until then. I mean, all the, the changes and the movies that are back backing up. I mean, when are they going to be able to get this out? But I have to say that I, I'm excited to see this. I, I'm glad to see them back. I like people going back to work and all that and controlled environments and people are thinking about safety and, uh, you know, it's it, it's something that has to happen. It's just a new way of life. And to hear that they're spending that much money is somewhat reassuring. So I think it's good. You know, we talk sometimes about the tangibilization, like hearing a movie is now in production. There, it's, this isn't the tangibilization of it, but it's it's 
there's something that feels good, despite the fact that everybody still has to remain very, very cautious and be on their guard and do all the right things. But it's it's nice seeing this stuff coming back to life. You yeah. know what I mean? I, like I've been saying for a long time, it's not about waiting for COVID-19 to go away. Right. It's about learning how to function with it out there. I, I made the example actually yesterday on my open mic show where I said, think of it like like STDs. Like STDs haven't gone away. They're still out there, right? They're still there. We didn't stop having sex, but we just learned how to adapt our behavior to deal with the fact that that's out there to minimize, not eliminate, but minimize our risk. So uh, I'm not saying Jurassic World is an STD, nor am I comparing it to sex. I'm just saying it's it's kind of like, anyway, Aaron, you hear about that. What is the significance and, and is there something to be seen there about a big movie like this going back into production in the UK? Oh, absolutely. The eyes of production worldwide are going to be on these first productions that are going back. You know, um, as a member of the the Actors Union, SAG-AFTRA, we've been getting emails saying, uh, you know, hey, we've been hearing about these productions that are asking actors to sign liability waivers. We in no way endorse these. You were not supposed to sign these. You were not supposed to be in these productions. Email us immediately. Like SAG is really being particular and making sure that, you know, some of these productions that are trying to just hurry up and go into uh, in, into filming. Now, a lot of those are more low budget productions, I'm assuming, that are trying to skate under the radar. They're really calling them out. And so, uh, what's going to happen is obviously you have the big budget of five million dollars for a project like um, like like Jurassic World, but then you're gonna they're gonna figure out a way of like okay, what of those things worked? What of those things was extraneous and don't necessarily need to be implemented? And also, the world of film is very different than television. Uh, you know, it's going to be interesting to see when we start filming things in the U.S. Right. versus overseas, and then also when we start filming. Uh, television shows which have a lot more turnover and turnaround you know as an actor i'm i guess a little extra cautious because actors can't wear masks at work you know everybody else in the entire crew can wear a mask except the actors so you know there's a little concern there I guess the question is now for you guys. What do you think about Jurassic World going back into production July 6th? Safety protocols and all. A little premature. Do you think, oh my God, thank goodness everything's moving forward? Jump down to the comments section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. With those off the tops out of the way, we're going to transition now into our main topics. But before we do, after we do our main topics, the second half of the show is all about taking your live questions. And you can send in a live question if you want by using the tip link at the top of the description of this video. You can click on it or you can just go to streamelements.com slash movieblogtv slash tip. You'll be getting your question or comment on the show and you'll be supporting the show at the same time. Also want to remind you guys that you can't always be in a position where you can just pop on a YouTube video. You might be commuting at the gym at work. Well, good news. The John Campia audio only version podcast is out there for you. It's on your favorite podcasting app of choices. Go there and search for the John Campia show. You should be able to find it. Go subscribe to it today. So like a condom, you have it when you need it. So anyway, guys, with that down, I don't know where that came from. Let's from the on. STDs. There we go. STD Monday. All right. Let's move on now to our main topics of the day. And how do we select our main topics around here? Well, it's really rather simple. You see, you guys come up with them by going anytime 24-7 over to www.thejohncampiashow.com slash contact. Once you get there, you're going to see a form. Fill it out with your topic or question. It's totally free. Hit submit, and then maybe, just maybe, you might see your topic or question featured as a main topic here on The John Campia Show. With that down, let's move on to main topic number one. And our first main topic today gets submitted to us by Derek, who writes, Hey, John. 
On Friday, it was reported that Cineworld has dropped the Cineplex deal in Canada, and now Cineplex is threatening to sue Cineworld over breach of contract. What are your thoughts on this? All right, thanks a lot for sending that in, man. For those of you who are not aware of this situation, let me just give you a quick background here. Uh, Cineplex is the, by miles, the most predominant movie theater chain in Canada. One could argue they have a monopoly. If you live in any of the major cities in Canada, you want to go to a movie, chances are you're going to have to go to a Cineplex theater. They were, for the longest time, my standard bearer as the, the symbol of excellence in movie theater going. They now suck. They're <laughs> awful. Uh, and, and, and then we heard news that Cineworld was going to be buying them out. Now, Cineworld is the massive UK theater chain that also recently bought out Regal and then introduced Regal Unlimited and did a lot of good things. And so I've been like, yes, the Canadian movie theater chain is going to be owned by Cineworld. Here we go. So much for that. The deal, according to Cineworld, is off. They are citing saying that Cineplex breached in some ways, although they didn't specify how. Here's This is what comes to us from the CBC. International movie theater chain Cineworld PLC says its deal to buy Cineplex for $2.8 billion is off, claiming that certain breaches of the contract were made by the Canadian company. But Cineplex fired back late on Friday, insisting that the allegations of wrongdoing are false and vowing to see Cineworld in court in a battle over damages so basically what you have here is a deal was made and a deal was completed that they a cineworld would buy b cineplex for 2.8 billion dollars it was done now they're saying we're we're stepping out of the deal because there were certain breaches in the contract when reached out for comment about what those breaches were cineworld did not get back to any of the news agencies to clarify what are these alleged breaches cineplex is of course saying there are no breaches they just getting cold feet because of the horrible situation the COVID-19 put everybody in, and now they're just looking for an excuse to get out of the deal, and so they're saying they're going to take them to court. I am bummed out about this on the one hand. I'm, I'm, I'm bummed out about it because I was really looking forward to a Canadian theater chain becoming good again because it, for those of you who missed the opening remarks, Cineplex sucks, and I really want them to get bought out and improve and give Canadian moviegoers the experience they deserve. Um, so, I, I mean, this... But I'm going to admit, as much as I'm looking at Cineworld here as the savior, it does look sketchy. Like, really? Last second after you've already completed the deal, you suddenly say, oh, we just found out you breached the contract. Really? How? Well, we're not going to tell you how you breached the contract. And they're getting out of a $2.8 billion deal. It's going to be interesting to see how this turns out. Rob, you know, listen, being a part of the entertainment business, we all know that it's a logical kind of thing, right? This is, people are court suing each other happy we know if you're going to get involved in entertainment you're going to get involved in law whether you like it or not but you look at a situation like this rob what do you make of it well it sounds like somebody wasn't telling somebody something you know like if you if you have it, obviously there's people who vet these deals you know it's not like they just decide yeah we'll do that and you sign on the dotted line no there's 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 forensic uh, accounting firms that look through all these books. This is a huge deal. We're talking billions of dollars. So something was rotten in Denmark that somebody didn't know about. <laughs> and and I think for this deal to have gone this far down the line, I don't know what it was. It could have been, by the way, it could have had something to do with COVID, the amount of debt. Uh, things weren't, they didn't anticipate something. I don't know because 
they didn't get into it. But something tells me that it wasn't like somebody trying to screw somebody over. Somebody uncovered information that they didn't have at first. And they're like, oh, no, 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 no. You know, it's like I I was involved with once buying a house. And we found out almost at the 11th hour, the house had a $150,000 insurance claim against it that had been hidden. So you're like, "Um, no, because then you you can't trust anything. And we still couldn't figure out why did it have what what was it the plumbing? I mean, that's a bad thing and and <laughs> yeah. you know we we go we went for, for a long way down that road and when you find stuff like that out it's it just makes it everything is sketchy after that Aaron, so. what do you think we got here? Do you got? Do you think we got a situation where Cineworld found something out, or do you think we got a situation here where they're just trying to get out of the deal because of the whole COVID nineteen thing? Can you remind me when the deal was done again? It it was primarily, it was set and agreed upon in late 2019 and then got ratified earlier this year. Yeah, I mean, to me, it doesn't sound like they figured something out that was hidden. To me, I I go with the the thought line of, oh my God, we did not realize that this is where we're going to be. And they saw that Cineplex is taking a massive bath and that nobody knows what's going to happen to theaters at this point going forward. Um, You know, there's been even talk that the world of you know live physical theater viewing is dead i don't believe that i don't think that any of our viewers believe that all of us want to go back to the theaters but there has been talk of that so this may be a way of a cineworld trying to back out of a deal realizing that it doesn't look as promising as maybe it did seven or eight months ago you know it should be pointed out too that the cbc is reporting that there is specific language in the contract this is why cineplex is getting all upset that bars using pandemics or global catastrophes as a way out of the contract. And so Cineplex right now is claiming that's that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to use this as a way to get out of the contract. But again, last second, maybe they did discover something shady and they just don't want to say what it is right now. Question is, guys, I'm especially interested for those of you who are Canadian viewers. What do you guys think about the fact of this deal falling through? Do you think they'll be forced to put it back on? Do you think they'll have to pay damages? What do you think is the cause of all this? Jump down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right. With that down, let's move on to main topic number two. And our second main topic today gets submitted to us by Gab, who writes, Hey, John, just when we thought it wouldn't happen, it did. Warner Brothers announced that Tenet will be slightly delayed now, releasing on July 31st instead of July 17th. Did they delay it because they didn't think theaters would be opened in time? What does this mean for the movie Unhinged, still set to release on July 1st? All right, thanks for sending that in, man. Well, listen, as far as we know right now, nothing has changed for Unhinged. Unhinged is still planning to open on July 1st, I believe, regardless of how many theaters will be open. I think they just want to have be able to stake the boast. We're the first movie to open, which, you know, there's some value in that. I, I, I can see that regardless of how many theaters are open. For those of you who have not heard, yes, Tenet, while it was looking more and more likely that they would hold on to the July 17th date, have just moved off the date and delayed a grand total of two weeks to July 31st. This comes to us from Variety who writes, uh, and this is from the, the, uh, the folks over at Warner Brothers who said this, we are especially thrilled in this complex and rapidly changing environment to be bringing Christopher Nolan's Tenet, a global tentpole of jaw-dropping size, scope, and scale to theaters around the world on July 31st, said Toby Emmerich, chairman of Warner Brothers Pictures Group. It's been longer than any of us could have imagined since we've seen a movie on the big screen and to acknowledge Chris, uh, Chris's fans as we 
countdown to Tenet's opening day, we are also excited to offer his masterpiece, Inception, in theaters for its 10th anniversary on July 17th. And of course, that came to us from the folks over at Variety. There's a couple of things to look at here. First thing I want to point out and have us notice is that this move was a two-week move. Two weeks. Clearly, I don't think COVID-19 is a player here. I don't think like suddenly, look, if they were suddenly nervous about theaters are not going to be open in time for July 17th, let's move it two weeks. You'd think they would move it to November. You'd think they'd move it to December, maybe a summer release of Tenet in 2021 or something like that. They moved it two weeks. Here's what I think happened here. And and again, this is just me speculating. I, I can't, you know, I have no insider information, but this is what makes sense to me. The fact that they're going to bring out Inception now on the 10th or on the 17th, when Tenant was supposed to open. This is what I think is going on here. And you guys tell me if you agree or disagree. I think what's happened here is that they still wanted to be the first out in theater, the first major film out in theaters. But Rob, something that you and I have talked about a lot was that it's not just that theaters need to be open on July 17th. They need to have been open for a little bit. Because you can't just have all the theaters closed and then one day open and expect everybody to be waiting at the door ready to go in on the first day. We've said for a while, theaters are going to have to open up a few weeks earlier, play some classic films, play some of the films that were just getting into theater when everything shut down, whether it's Invisible Man or whether it's Onward or for whatever reason, uh, Bloodshot, if you want to hate yourself. So we knew for a while they need to ramp up getting people used to going back to the theaters. The theaters are going to be open by July 17th. I mean, that's what Regal says at any rate. That's what NATO says. That's what AMC says. That's what Cineplex says. And I believe Warner Brothers believes, yeah, the theaters will be open by the 17th. But we don't know that people will, A, be fully aware that the theaters are back open now, and B, have gotten back into the process of going back to the theaters quite yet. So we're going to nudge it just two weeks, just two weeks. And we're going to help things along by re-releasing a big tentpole film like Inception. Rob, honestly, I look at this and what I see here is them just saying, we need a little bit of run-up time for for this getting released before we drop Tenet. I don't think this is a a bigger problem. And I also really think they're going to hold this because I think if they had any doubt that they could release, they would just say, hey, we're not doing the July 17th release date. We'll let you know when we are releasing it or something like that. For them to just come out and say, yeah, two weeks. We're pushing it two weeks. I think this cements it. Rob, when you look at this, why move the film if you're only moving it two weeks? How do you see this? Well, I think a lot of it has to do with what you said. I, I mean, I've heard, and I don't know if this is true, that even Unhinged has been pushed to the 10th of July. Oh, that I hadn't now, seen that I'm yet. not sure. I think I read that, which means that if that's the case, I think like what you said, they need that they need that ramp up time. Tenant is this Warner Brothers it's one of their most expensive movies they've ever made. They were saying that they need this theater they need this film to open in 80% of the theaters around the world in order to make it viable financially in, in terms of what they're hoping for in terms of their return and how much money they're spending on marketing. So I think they just they wanted to give it more time. They thought that they would have that time, but if everything is getting pushed back they're pushing back not that far. So they're just giving an extra couple weeks for theaters to start to reopen. I mean, it's still a big question, John. Are people going to go? Right. Are they going to go in droves? Here's the thing. And I've been saying this on the show for a little while now. I was just in San Diego this weekend for uh, my 10th anniversary. 
in the question of will people be be willing to go back out into the public again, whatever. Anne and I were in the gas lamp, which is right around where Comic-Con happens normally. It was packed. Every restaurant was literally lined up out the door. The streets were filled with people. Bunch wearing masks, some people not wearing masks, whatever. Some of the restaurants were distancing their tables a little bit. Others weren't. But I think it just kind of speaks to that thing again. Rob, you and I have talked about this a lot, actually, is that do not underestimate the fact that there are a lot of people out there. Not all of them, because there are a lot of people who are going to be very cautious and understandably so. But there's also on the opposite side of that coin, there's a lot of people who are just like, I want to get out and get back to living. I want to go back out. Into the Whether that's smart or dumb is a separate discussion. But I, I mean, yeah, I think people will. I, and when I look at the restaurants, again, I'm just looking at the restaurants and the shops and the malls. I'm thinking, yeah, I, I don't see much problem with the theaters, particularly if they're going to be like a 25% capacity or 50% capacity. I'm not sure. Aaron, uh, you look at this. What do you think about this move? And, and, and what benefit is there to moving two weeks as opposed to moving three or four months? Well, first of all, I just have to laugh at the just the 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 statement from toby emmerich is so pr'd it's like <laughs> hey we're super excited about this movie and it's really great and i'm not really going to answer your question but i'm kind of going to skirt around it just a little bit and tell you how great 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 this movie's gonna be um i just i think it's hysterical just reading the the, the quote which obviously came from from their marketing department um but I agree with I, I agree with both of you. And yes, they they need some time so that the staff can make sure that they're timing when they're going in and cleaning and making sure that everybody knows exactly what they're doing and almost do as a test run with Inception. But I also I don't necessarily believe that just because they're pushing it two weeks that this is locked in firm. In fact, I would not be surprised if they if they see that people are not going back to the movies in droves, you know, with Mulan now opening before Tenant, uh, Tenant is, is essentially letting Mulan fall on her proverbial sword prior. And if Mulan does not do well, then what does that say for how Tenant's going to do? And if Mulan doesn't bring people back to the theaters, Tenant may just say, you know what? Sorry, it's not worth it. We're going to pull it again. I mean, they're they're making this announcement less than a month before they were supposed to or about a month before they were supposed to release. I would not be surprised if they did it one more time. It's it's this has been an ongoing yeah. checkers game. And like, I think it can will continue to be an ongoing checkers game as things continue to change. And and that's the thing. New information, things are changing every day, so people are responding different. Question is for you guys. What do you think about their decision to move it? What do you think about their decision to move it by just two weeks? Do you think at this point now it's going to locked in and they're going to hold it? Do you think it's still something that's in play? Jump down to the comments section below and let us know your thoughts. All right. With that down, let's move on to main topic number three. And our third main topic today gets submitted to us by Champs, who writes, Hey, John. So, Wonder Woman just got a new release date, speaking of which, October 2nd, 2020. Did you expect this? Uh, do you think this can affect Black Widow somehow? Thanks and be safe. All right, thanks a lot for sending that in, man. And yes, we've now seen Wonder Woman has also now been pushed, not just by two weeks, but also not by like six months. It's been pushed by six weeks, roughly six weeks. So it's gone from its August release date to the beginning of October. Did I expect this? No, I really didn't. I, I really didn't expect this. I mean, I knew 
I even thought like Mulan and Tenet would keep their dates. Tenet just got moved by two weeks, no big deal. But I thought with those things holding their dates, I didn't see any reason why Wonder Woman in mid-August couldn't hold its date. I think there are a couple things at play here. First of all, the part of your question we're asking, is this going to affect Black Widow at all? Not at all. Black Widow is still more than a month separated from when this Wonder Woman film, if Wonder Woman does come out on October 2nd, Black Widow is still a month away from that. So I don't see them affecting each other whatsoever. So I don't think this is going to have any impact at all on the November release date of Black Widow. However, I do think this has something to do, because remember, these are both Warner Brother projects. When you talk about Tenet and you're talking about Wonder Woman, you're talking about two Warner Brother projects. I do believe this is connected to Tenet. Because what I, while I don't think Warner Brothers has any problem opening Wonder Woman 84 over a month away from Black Widow, which is another studio, I do think with them moving Tenet to the 31st of July, I do think they were like, you know what? Do we want to open Wonder Woman just two weeks after Tenet? And I think that probably, so I, I don't think they would have moved. If they didn't move Tenet, I don't think, and I have no insider information on this, but I don't think they would have moved Wonder Woman at all. I think they were perfectly comfortable with the release date it was on. The only thing that I think made it uncomfortable was the fact that they just moved Tenet two weeks closer to it and they wanted a little bit more breathing room. That's how I see it at any, at any rate. Now, it should be noted too that the director of Wonder Woman 84 said the following. She goes, we wish we were sharing our film yesterday because by the way, this is the fourth release date for Wonder Woman 84. Wow. It was supposed to come out in November <laughs> of 99. Then I believe in June... November um, of 2019. Uh, sorry, it's 2019. What did I say? 99. 99. That, was like, that was a while ago. Gal Gadot was five. That's how long it's been sitting on the shelf. It, it was supposed to come it's out in November 2019. Then I believe it got moved to June. Then it got moved to August. Now it's being moved again. So this is his fourth release date. But she says, we wish we were sharing our film uh, yesterday, but there are more important things going on in our world than we'd rather you, that we'd rather you focus on right now. Thank you for, to our fans for being so great by our sides. Can't wait to see... Uh, for you to see it sending love and healing to the world see you on october 2nd and that of course comes from patty jenkins so there we go on that aaron you know again it's we're getting used to this is the fourth release date for this movie now mm -hmm. fourth my opinion is i don't think they would have moved it if it wasn't for tenant moving right. but maybe there's a grander thing to this maybe they thought maybe they just thought they needed more time I, i'm not really sure what do you think is behind them moving Wonder Woman six weeks? Well, first of all, I love the idea of uh, October being the month of Wonder Woman. It's also Breast Cancer Awareness Month for all my fellow warriors <laughs> out there. Um, I, I, I really like this. There's always, you know, a kind of a, a big movie of October. I remember when it was Friday the 13th a couple years ago, obviously that being more of the genre of Halloween. But still, I think this is going to be, a, <clears throat> excuse me, a great time for Wonder Woman to open. And also, it still gives extra wiggle room for tenant in case they need to push again they have the entirety of the month of august they have the entirety of the month of september if they need to push another two weeks or if they want to push another two weeks they have that wiggle room but you're absolutely right they're going to want to make sure that tenant has as much time as possible to secure all the fans for people right. not only to go watch it once and tell all their friends but then to go watch it a second and maybe even a third time for the diehard film fans Rob, how do you see this whole thing? Well, it's again, it's it's I still think that there's a lot of questions. I think that what you said is once they move tenant, they don't want to compete with themselves. I mean, if Wonder Woman kept its release date within two weeks of tenant, you've got your two biggest tentpole properties basically cannibalizing each other's business. So they had to move Wonder Woman out away from tenant, far enough away that that wouldn't happen. 
But so I think it had to happen. I mean, once they moved tenant, it was academic. There was no choice. Now, what's interesting is that move has caused a ripple effect in Warner Brothers schedule. Yeah. And uh, all the way into 2021, 22 now. And it's it's it has ramifications. And still, John, I I don't know about theaters opening. Mm. It's going to be really interesting to see with information we have coming out of China, with the fact that COVID cases are going up in some parts of the country. It's going to be interesting to see where we are at. So, and our film goer is going to roll out. I know I, like I said, John, I will wear a hazmat suit to the theater. <laughs> I want to go see a tenant in IMAX so damn bad. And I'll tell you, if, if they want my anticipation, it's up there. It's like they're dangling this giant, delicious cinematic carrot <laughs> that I want to eat. And I, you know, I, every time they push it back, I'm like that much more. It's like I'm a donkey, and it's okay. I'm gonna need you to stop with this uh, metaphor because I'm getting these visuals that I really just don't want to have in my head Look, right man, now. I just want to see Tenet. I don't know what you're thinking. I'm just, you know, but here, here's the other thing to keep in mind. This is the other thing to keep in mind. If theaters open back up in July, assuming they do, we just talked on this show last week about a report coming out of China. That said, even with theaters opening back up in July, they're saying that 40% of China's theaters are going out of business, even wow. with them reopening in July. This is the second largest market in the world for film going. Mm -hmm. 40%. We already know that things look very bleak. I mean, we know AMC is going to be able to open back up again, but it's still looking incredibly doubtful that they're going to be able to survive. Even the CEO said that the other day. And that's with them opening back up in July. I mean, it, it's gonna, at some point, we're gonna have to ask the question. It's going to become a matter of survival for these theaters because right now, Regal isn't imminently about to shut down. But guess what? If they, if this shutdown stretches into late August, September, now we're talking about Cinemark being in danger of going under. We're talking about Regal in danger of going under. We're already seeing Cineworld having to back out of the purchase of another movie theater chain. They might be in danger of going under. I mean, it's, we're talking about, the survival entire industry. I don't know if that will make them go, well, we've got to open then, or if it'll just go, well, it's just, it is what it is. I mean, say la vie, that's life. I, I mean, but it's the ramifications of these theaters not being able to open in July is scary. It's scary. Cause I think a lot of with, again, 40% of Chinese theaters can't open again. And that's if they open in July, it's going to be really, really weird. So let me ask you guys this question. What do you think about this move of Wonder Woman into October? Do you think that both Tenet and Wonder Woman could have both done perfectly fine opening two weeks apart from each other, given the restrictions and the limitations that are going to be there for movie theaters right now? Do you think it was wise? Do you think there might be other reasons why they moved? Jump down into the comments section below and let us know your thoughts. All right. With that down, let's move on to main topic number four. And our fourth main topic today gets submitted to us by... Jimothy, who writes, Hello, John. Well, it's official. Oh, today's the day of delayed movies. Godzilla vs. Kong has now been delayed. Not two weeks, not six weeks, but almost six months to May 21st, 2021, after Warner Brothers pushed Matrix 4 to April 1st, 2022, which, by the way, is about a year, almost a year push for Matrix 4 to April 1st, 2022. Do you think this release uh, will be better for Godzilla vs. Kong compared to its original November 20th, 2020 release date? Thanks. All right. So 
If for those of you at home who are keeping score, we had Tenet has moved by two weeks. We have Wonder Woman that has moved by six weeks. Now we've got Godzilla moving by almost six months. And then, you know, as exhilarated to that, we got Matrix 4 that's moved almost a year to 2021. Let's look for a second at Godzilla versus Kong, though. Godzilla versus Kong was set for a November release date. Do I think that this May release date in 2020 could be better for it? Absolutely not. I thought there was a remarkable opportunity for a Godzilla versus Kong coming out in November. Number one, November is turned into a really good movie going month. Number two, I mean, regardless of what happens with Tenet and whatever, we're talking about November, right? So they would probably be right on the cusp, not only of the theaters being opened back up again, but that also gives a, a good amount of time for a lot of people who were going to be slow to come back to the movie theaters probably would have been back in the movie theaters by November. It was a great release date for this movie. And considering how Godzilla King of the Monsters underperformed in its release date, I actually think November 20th or the, the November of 2020 release date was going to be really, really positive for this film. I don't see this being a good move at all. And it, I'm so convinced of that, that it's not a good move at all, that I am left with nothing. Again, no insider information. This is just me speculating. I'm left to think there are more problems with the movie. I, again, there's been no official word of that. That might not be the case at all. But I think it is so clear that November would have been a better release date for this movie. And again, don't blame Wonder Woman's now October. It's still, it was over a month away from when, from when Wonder Woman is now going to come out. So that wasn't a problem. I am left with no other choice but to suspect that this is a situation of there's more problems with the movie and they need more time. Again, I don't know that for sure, but in no way, shape, or form do I believe that May, that, that summer of 2021 is going to be a better date for this movie than November. Anyway, uh, Aaron, that's just me speculating. You see this move again. It's, it's a Warner Brothers property. We're seeing some shuffling going on. What do you think about them moving this you know, almost six months into May of 2021? And do you think that that date being a summer season date, maybe that could work in the movie's benefit. How do you see it? I actually, I, I I love you, John. I completely disagree with you. I saw this news and I said, you know what? That is fantastic. First of all, opening right there around Memorial Day weekend, you're solidifying yourself as the summer blockbuster that everybody is going to be looking forward to. They can go ahead and start rolling out the marketing materials, knowing that at that point, God, you know, God willing and the creek don't rise, uh, which I used for the second time today, uh, that people will be going back to the theaters. And let's keep in mind, yes, November is a great time for movies to be opening in a normal world, which we're totally not in right now, but we don't know what's going to happen by November. And also for people who are, as they should be concerned about COVID and specifically concerned about, you know, uh, going back out full fledged, all the reports are saying that there won't be any sort of vaccine or anything medically for people to feel some level of comfort until at least January. So I think that 2020 is basically a wash. Anybody who is releasing any movies is taking a massive risk, a huge gamble. And for them, I, I see that as more of a move of, you know what, screw it. Let's just move it to make it our summer blockbuster, not try to compete with everybody that's, you know, pushing two weeks here, two weeks there. Let's just solidify ourselves as summer 2020 and be done with it and not have to worry. Rob, you see this. What's their thinking behind this? Do you <clears> see <throat> benefit? Do you see liability? What are you thinking about this move? Well, I, look, I, I agree with 
Aaron, in terms of, I don't think this was only motivated. I, I think a lot of it had to do with the Matrix Four, because with the Matrix Four shutting down, um, they just don't have enough time. They didn't have enough time to finish it. This is a huge, big return for a franchise that means a lot to Warner Brothers. And when they realized, well, there's no way this movie's going to be ready by its May date. What can we do? What do we have that's comparable to go into that slot? And I think they looked at, you know what? King Kong, King Kong versus Godzilla. We're going to have Tenet and Wonder Woman. Hopefully Wonder Woman will still be playing. These are two huge, huge movies for Warner Brothers. Arguably the two biggest movies they've had come out concurrently in a long time. So with that, I think it was natural once Matrix 4 moved off its date that King Kong versus Godzilla is the next biggest movie they slot into that position because Matrix didn't just move six months. I mean, that's an entire year. And they're they're so confident that they they staked out uh, that April, you know, April now is the new beginning of the summer movie season. So now Matrix 4 is kicking off the summer movie season in high fashion in 2022. And King Kong versus Godzilla then gets, as far as Warner Brothers is concerned, a prime summer movie berth that it didn't have before because it wasn't available. So now it's opened up. I think Warner Brothers is pretty high on this movie. I think they've given it already time to be. They tweaked it. You know, it was supposed to come out. When was it? When was the original release? Oh, it was, I can't remember. Now. Yeah, but it was back. It was, it was. It should have already been released. And now they gave it that extra time. So I think they're really high on the film, and that's why they moved it into the Matrix position in 2021 because they're they figured you know what we've got something here let's we've got this empty space we have nothing better this is what we're gonna this is how we're gonna kick off our summer movie season in 2021 king kong versus godzilla what's not to love uh so let me so you're basically saying this really wasn't about moving godzilla versus kong this was we've got that empty May date, we need to fill it. So this wasn't about we need to move Kong. This was about we need to fill that May release date and they want to move that in there. Yes, and remember, they're already coming off of two Tenet and Wonder Woman 84. Those are, you can't get any bigger than that. So why not, you've got this other asset and mm -hmm. rather than the Matrix being pushed as some kind of a disaster, we've got something else that's coming on the heels of these two big movies. So it's not like we've lost something in a way the, they've gained something. Mm, and right. um, I think that's what their, their thinking was. All right, guys. Well, listen, this creates a really interesting situation because now we've got a number of films that have moved around. And I decided to make that the topic of today's question of the day. And my question of the day to you guys was simply this. Which major film that just got delayed last week are you most disappointed about them moving? Are you wor more worried about Tenet being moved by two weeks, Wonder Woman 84 being moved by six weeks, Godzilla vs. Kong being moved by six months, or Matrix 4 being moved by about a year? I'm surprised. Most of you guys said you're most upset about Tenet moving. Which, I, 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 look, I understand it's probably the most anticipated movie of this list, but it was only moving by two weeks, so I'm a little bit surprised. So most of you guys said you're most upset by that moving. Uh, the next amount at 32%, uh, Wonder Woman 84, 29% are saying you're upset about that moving. 22% of you are more concerned about Godzilla versus Kong moving by six months. Only 16% <laughs> of you are worried about Matrix 4 moving about a year, and I could really care less if it just dropped off the face of the earth and never played in theaters. <laughs> but there is that. So that's a little over... 3,200 of you guys casted your vote on that. By the way, guys, our question of the day polls are done on our YouTube community channel. Make sure that you subscribe to the John Campy YouTube channel. Make sure you've got the notifications coming in so you can see and participate in these polls as well. Question is now for you guys. 
What do you think about this move of King Kong? We've got three kind of different opinions about why they made a move, but we want to know what your opinion of that is. Jump down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. With that down, let's move on to main topic number five. And our fifth and final main topic today gets submitted to us by Geeky Gator, who writes, Hey, John and crew. So with Tenet moving from July 17th to July 31st, this now makes Mulan the first big blockbuster scheduled to open when theaters reopen. Of course, it's scheduled to open on July 24th. We have heard Bob Chapek, that's the new CEO of Disney, say that they are confident in this date before, but do you think they will now move it? Maybe swap dates with the New Mutants in August and have New Mutants as the canary in the coal mine, as they would say. All right, thanks a lot for sending that in, Geeky. And listen, that does raise a really fascinating... All this movement raises a fascinating situation here with Mulan. Because Mulan, scheduled to come out on July 24th, they were one of the first big movies to open up, but of course they were opening up after Tenet. Tenet... Disney was going to be able to let Warner Brothers be the canary in the coal mine to get out there first, be the movie to attract some people back. And then by the second week, when Mulan opens up, they could reap all the benefits of that. But now Mulan is in a position where they're going to have to be the first out of the gate as far as big major tentpole films go. And Mulan is indeed one of these big major tentpole films. Bob Chapek, CEO of Disney, did say recently that... We don't see any reason why we would need to move off this date. We think it's a good date for Mulan, yada, yada, yada. But that's when Tenet was going to be the first penguin to jump in the water. That was when Tenet was going to take the shot first and to see if everything was going to work out. Now, they're not in that position. Mulan is not in that safety position anymore. And now they are going to be the first ones into the water. Yes, JPEG has said they are comfortable with the date. They think this is a good date for them. Blah, 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 blah. But that doesn't necessarily mean that now they're going to keep it. I am torn on this, seriously, about whether or not Disney will hold this date. I think there's a strong argument to be made that they will. I think there's a strong argument to be made that now they get to be the ones. Remember, Warner Brothers and Christopher Nolan wanted to be seen as the saviors of the movie theater industry. It was really important to them to say, we're the first ones out of the gate. We're the ones who are going to welcome people back in theaters and blah, blah, blah. Now Disney's in the position that they can do that. But it's also a position of risk. This is risky. This is this is a this is a delicate situation that they're in. I'm going to say this. I think Mulan will hold their date. But I am not confident in that at all. I I wouldn't bet you one shiny dollar on that. Not $1. So if I had to choose, I'm guessing they'll hold the 24th date. But now, uh, besides the fact that July 24th was always going to be, hey, that's still kind of early, they at least had Tenet in front of them to take the bullet. Now that's not there. So I'm going to guess they'll keep the 24th date, but I'm not going to be surprised at all if even by the end of this show, guys, we see news come across the board <laughs> that Disney's decided to move it to, well, whatever, the week after Tenet now. So the first week of August <laughs> to make sure they stay like one week, just hopscotch one week behind Tenet. I will be surprised. Rob, you take a look at this situation. What do you think is going to happen here with now Mulan? Disney's made some big statements about them thinking this is a good date for them, but that was before Tenant moved. What do you think is going to happen with Mulan? I, I'm with you. 
I, I wouldn't be surprised if they move it. I, I really don't know. Again, this whole situation is in flux. Again, Mulan is a really important film for Disney. They've got a big investment in it. They need this to not just open in the United States. They have to have an open worldwide as well. And again, we mentioned early on that 40% of China's theaters are expected to no longer exist. They need that Chinese box office. You know, They need these theaters open. Just like Warner Brothers said they needed 80% of the world's theaters open to open Tenet. I think that's what Disney's hoping for with Mulan. And if not, can they go? Because the whole point of a theatrical release is a certain amount of financial return. They need, they need that financial return to come in. And if that financial return isn't going to come in, they can't release a movie and have it be disappointing. So I... I don't know, man. I think it's iffy that Mulan's going to stick on this date. I really do. It really depends. Where are movie theaters going to be in six weeks? Aaron, we, we've heard Disney say they're going to hold that date, but situation has changed. Mm -hmm. Do you expect when July 24th rolls around that Mulan will be opening up in theaters? I don't. I really don't. I mean, sure, anything could happen. This leapfrog game that it looks like Tenet and Mulan might be making up until the final hour could be interesting. But another thing that we should keep in mind is the target demographic of the people. I mean, I'm talking about in America, at least. I can't speak for their markets of the people that are going to go see these movies. You know, when you have Tenet, it's a mind bending psychological Christopher Nolan film that obviously is tailored to a very adult audience and a very specific, you know, uh, Christopher Nolan fan base. Whereas Mulan, being a Disney film, more family-friendly. Are parents going to be interested in bringing their kids back to the theater? It's one thing for, you know, adults if it's a singular person or, you know, two people. But there's already been a lot of chatter that I've been hearing about parents unsure about sending their kids back to school right away in late August or early September. Teachers that are now starting to talk to their unions about maybe not opening up school. Like, I'm already hearing chatter about that. And given that Mulan is specifically a Disney film, which obviously attracts tons of adults. I'm not saying that it's a movie just for kids. I'm not saying that. But this is a movie that they're expecting, you know, mom and dad or mom and mom and all the kids and everybody. You know, they're expecting multiple ticket sales with each group of people, not just a singular ticket or two tickets. So I, I think that that's also something they're going to be keeping in mind and doing a lot of focus group conversations about do you not just do you feel safe going to the theaters, but do you feel safe bringing your children to the theaters? Guys, the question is for you. Uh, this is a tough one. I think this one's really, really close. I don't. I. I. I again, I'm only saying I think it'll open the twenty fourth because if you force me to make a choice, but honestly, I think it's a coin toss here. I, I think it's you know pocket jacks versus ace king. I think this is a coin toss. I don't know which way this is going to go. What do you guys think Disney is going to do? But more importantly, what do you think Disney should do? Because those could be two separate questions. What do you think they will do? What do you think they should do with this Mulan film? Maybe you're thinking, hey, if all these Chinese theaters are going to go out of business soon, maybe they need to get it out in theaters as soon as they can before those Chinese theaters close. I don't know. There's so many different ways to look at this. What do you think? Jump down into the comments section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys.
With all that down and out of the way, we're going to move on here and take your live questions here in just a moment. But before we do, just want to remind you once again, you can still fire in a question or comment for the show. Just use the tip link, streamelements.com slash movieblogtv slash tip. You'll be getting your question or comment on the show and supporting the show at the same time. And we thank you all for that. So just hang tight with us, guys. Don't go anywhere. We're going to take a minute here to rest the vocal cords, stretch our legs, go refill our drinks. So we will be right back. Don't go anywhere. We'll see you in just a minute. All right, guys, and we are back. Thank you so much for your patience and indulgence as we took a little bit of a break there. Now let's jump over and start taking your live questions. We're getting started off here with Willow, who writes, I'm still confused about how the time travel in the Terminator universe works. In Terminator Salvation, for example, when Skynet captured Kyle Reese, if they had killed him then and there, would John Connor have ceased to exist? Rob, because this is a hard question, I'm going to get you to answer. <laughs> How the hell? Does, <laughs> I, I look. There's so whenever you get involved in time travel in movies, there's always paradox logic problems. Mm -hmm. But I don't know. Do you see a, an easy paradox solution to this? Well, uh, no. Because here's <laughs> here's what I don't understand. Now we've seen multiple incursions into the past in the Terminator universe. Well, here's the thing. Theoretically. When you send somebody from the future into the past to do something, the results would be immediate as far as the future was concerned because it would have already happened. But if they were successful, the reason they're sending somebody into the past in the first place, you wouldn't have needed to do because it had already happened. So none of the time travel in the Terminator universe makes any sense to me because they're sending people into the past, which means the future they're sending it from should never it should already have been affected so there was no reason I, it just doesn't it doesn't make any sense it doesn't hold water to me but theoretically to answer will's question yes if you captured kyle reese and killed him john connor could never have existed because kyle reese never would have been able to go back to the past and father and father <laughs> it, it just it, it really has become to, it, it none of it really works i mean they now they've sent older terminator models back after they've sent newer Terminator bottles. <laughs> like, it doesn't make any sense to me. And that's the problem with time travel in movies, ladies and gentlemen. All right, mm -hmm. Cobra writes, I wanted to write to say that I disagree that you should watch Doctor Who episode Heaven Sent. Don't get me wrong, it's a great episode, but as someone who isn't a fan of the show, I fear you won't appreciate its brilliance. Try the episode Midnight, though. Yeah, so that's been coming up lately because I don't watch Doctor Who. Um, and so some people saying, but, you know, there's this episode called Heaven Sent that you should watch. It's one of the greatest episodes of television. I'm like, okay, I'm maybe i'll check that one out but i got other people saying no nah, you shouldn't because you won't really get it if you don't watch it watch this other one uh i will tell you what i think sometime in 2020 i'm going to try to watch a little bit of doctor who i'll see if i can get caught up on it because a lot of my friends love that show and maybe Kobe, i'll take your advice and i'll start with the episode midnight and we'll see where we go from there all right russell amador writes hey john what a uh what a quiet week of movie news then bam friday afternoon rolls around post show and all the shuffles came through from warner brothers i'm cool with the tenant and w uh, wonder woman 84 delay since it's just a 2020 releases but man kong got 2021 instant tear yeah and I, you know what i still think it's it's uh symptomatic of something being wrong with the film but you know rob raises a really good point about Maybe they just see that May release date as being such a valuable release date. If we're not going to have Matrix in it, maybe we got to put we have to put something else in it, and maybe they go that way. Again, I think there is a danger in constantly delaying a film. I, I think there's repercussions about that, especially something like the Monster Universe, where Godzilla, King of the Monsters, struggled. 
And let's, so I don't know. I think sooner rather than later, but it is a really, really good point. So we'll see what happens there. Get, hold on to hope, Russell Amador. Hold on to hope. Ben Rayner writes, hey, John, uh, Rob, and Aaron. So nice seeing you three again. Well, thank you so much, Ben. What's your favorite slash least favorite change in the Star Wars Special Edition? For me, it's both in Return of the Jedi. Least favorite musical number, Jedi Rocks. Dear God, Jedi Rocks. If you guys don't know what we're talking about, it's this horrible, horrible music number that takes place in Jabba's palace that is just cringe-inducingly awful. It's so bad. Anyway, uh, least favorite uh, musical number is seeing multiple planets, or uh, least, least, let me say that. For me, it's both Return Jedi. Least musical number. Favorite is seeing multiple planets in celebration. Uh, really rounds out the Sega in 2012. Yeah, I like that one. I think my favorite stuff in the special, in the, in the special editions, Rob, might be the additional footage and background paintings, if you will, of Bespin. Uh, they, they really did some nice things of showing to mm -hmm. give you kind of be a better feel for Cloud City, right? But I do like them now going around the universe after the Death Star is destroyed to see the galaxy celebrating. Although I hated the fact that they took out the Yub Nub song. I hated that. But other than that, but yes, Jedi Rocks is the worst. Rob, I know you're well acquainted with the special editions. Worst thing in the special editions, best thing in the special editions. Well, I hate what they did to Star Wars almost across the board. Uh, in my mind, they completely ruined Verisimilitude, a movie that had peak sci-fi fantasy Verisimilitude. And then they go and they add a really lame job of the hut. A CG Jabba the Hutt that doesn't look really anything like the Jabba the Hutt we see in Jedi, who is all live action. And again, I hate to belabor a point, but Han, Han Solo and Greedo, Han Solo is an idiot now by allowing Greedo to, to fire it all, to move or now say McClunky or whatever the hell they're doing. The fact that Han Solo, Greedo's threatened Han Solo's life over my dead body. That's the idea. Han Solo was acting totally in self-defense by killing that Rodian. He deserved to die, and it makes Han Solo a badass. It informs his character of the rest of the two movies. That said, my favorite, my favorite stuff is, like you said, the stuff they did in Bespin because they just made the imagination that was already on display there even more beautiful. I agree. All right. Next up, James knows what's up. <clears throat> it only took forever, but I finally came up with my Star Wars ranking. From top to bottom, New Hope, Empire Strikes Back, Return of the Jedi, Rogue One, Last Jedi, Force Awakens, uh, Revenge of the Sith, Rise of Skywalker, Phantom Menace, Attack of the Clones. There, <clears throat> there was some emotion in Sith, none in Skywalker. Yeah, my everybody, one of the beautiful things about the Star Wars film, James, is that they all... Uh, every Star Wars fan has a different ranking in order. Of course, for me, obviously, it's the original trilogy by a mile, although I put Return of the Jedi as the best one. I, I go Return, Empire, uh, New Hope. Then my next favorite uh, out of all the Star Wars films is probably The Force Awakens, then Rogue One. Uh, and then you get into the other stuff, but that's kind of mine. But I like seeing the way you mix it up there. All right, next up, uh, James Knows What's Up also writes... <clears throat> This might be silly, more in Rob's wheelhouse, but have either of you seen a 2004 South Korean horror film called Our Point? Takes place in, in the Vietnam War, directed by Su Chang Kong. P.S. Rob, saw your friend's site where he sells those books of the Ninth Gate. Um, <coughs> Rob, I gotta tell you, I have not heard of this particular movie, Our Point. I've not heard of this. Have you heard of this? Movie? I have the DVD. Of course, <laughs> of course I, you I, do. I don't have of the Blu-ray. Do. I don't have a Blu-ray of it, though. It's really, <laughs> I mean, it's really cool. It's, it's, you know, it was part of a wave of Korean cinema that's still going on now. Genre cinema. It's great. 
Uh, it's great. As for my friend, who uh, what he's talking about, there's a guy, and his name is Cal. He has a, a thing called Swack, S apostrophe, W-A-K, props, and he makes prop books, like these beautiful recreations of books that have appeared in movies, like one of the things that he was showing that I don't have. He made a Grail diary from... Indiana Jones and the Last really? Crusade, oh, wow. and it's meticulous. All the pages are perfect. I mean, what he does—he's got an Etsy store. Check it out. He does amazing work. What a fantastic gift to give a friend of yours, if that's what they're into. What's the name of the Etsy store again? Swack S W A K. Because he lives in uh, Malaysia, and I think Swack is south. So he lives on the South Island of mm-hmm. Malaysia. So that's where he's based out of. The guy is a genius. Amazing. Well, All I right. will see anything that's coming out of Korea because with uh, 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 Parasite, Parasite and then Train to Busan that I saw recently, um, they're putting out some phenomenal work. So this is called Our Point. Our Point. Our Point. Our point. I'm, I'm still looking forward to seeing that Train to Busan oh, sequel. Oh, so good. Oh, the, the sequel. Se- yeah, the sequel so, looks so good. Wait, looks, when is the sequel coming uh, out? Train to, uh, it's, it's called Peninsula. It's called, yeah. It's called Peninsula. I, I can't remember the release date. The of it. trailer looked great. Oh, I'm excited. The trailer does about look that. good. All right, next one up. Uh, Alvin Moore writes: I feel HBO Max's approach to Gone with the Wind <clears throat> should be the same approach Disney Plus should have taken with Song of the South. Instead of hiding the movie, upload it raw and uncut, along with discussion video to educate people about why it was a mistake. Yeah, listen, I gotta tell you, the more I think about uh, HBO Max's and what they're doing with Gone with the Wind, the more I like it. To be honest with you. Now, again, guys, I don't know if you you saw all the stuff that was going on, but the the reaction this is a really great example about how people don't actually read they just see a headline and they run with it because the headline last week was hbo max removing gone with the wind and then everybody freaked out but they only freaked out because they clearly didn't actually read the article they're only temporarily taking it down to attach something to it and then they're going to re re-put it back up with no edits they're not editing anything out. They just want to simply put up something that includes a, a disclaimer and a description to talk about the significance of it. And I love what the HBO exec said about it, saying, you know, we are going to put it up unedited because to take any of that stuff out is to pretend that it never happened and that doesn't help us. And I think he was absolutely right about that. And so, you know, Rob, you've said yourself about the, the, the Song of the South stuff that, you know, keep it up because we need to be reminded about where we're coming from and what our history is, but attach those dis- disclaimers and attach those discussions um Aaron, i don't know if you were on the show when we were talking about i wasn't uh, that at the time but you know I, I mean what do you think the right approach is for for movies like that that have quite frankly now we look at stuff stuff they should have known better at the time when they were making but we look at it now very clearly what do you think their approach should be should it be like song of the south where they just take it down altogether? should it be like the way hbo max is handling gone with the wind where they're going to put it back up with but with a historical context discussion what do you think the right approach for that is are you asking me? Yeah. You know, I think we're in a really interesting uh, time right now where there is a massive re-education. Um, things have been said and done a certain way for the longest time. And as they've repeated themselves over and over again, people have just assumed them to be true because they were in school books or because it's what we've always known. And now there is a big segment of society that is all of a sudden learning about how 
the other part of society lives and that the way that they have known things is not necessarily quote the truth you know uh um uh ibram's book how to be an anti-racist is number one on the new york times bestseller right now and so right now is a great time to say yes this is the way that things have always been but hey let's take this as an opportunity to make this a teachable moment and an educational moment so i love the idea that we're having these films that people are now realizing oh wait a minute that's not okay well that everyone the, the the general consciousness is realizing this is a film that has a lot of problems but let's explain and teach why it has these problems not to say hey you're not allowed to see this or this film was should never have been made but this is how far we've come and this is how far we still need to go I like that. I like that a lot. All right. Next up, uh, Mr. Sulphur writes, I was recently looking at the IMDb page of my favorite James Gunn movie, writer slash starring, and to my surprise, Robert Meyer Burnett is listed as an associate producer. Does he have any stories about the specials co-starring Judy Greer and many others? Rob, you're an associate producer on the specials, are you? I, I certainly am, and that movie was a hoot. To make, uh, you know, uh, Craig Mazin, who was the producer of Chernobyl, the writer producer of right. Chernobyl, directed it. Oh, wow. It was the first thing that he directed, and James Gunn wrote it. James Gunn also was in the movie. He plays Minute Man, <laughs> and it's about the, if memory serves, the eighth greatest superhero team in the world. And you've got Paget Brewster and Thomas Hayden Church and Rob Lowe. It's an incredible cast. I mean, I could tell many stories about the making of that movie. Uh, what is most important, it, it was a hoot to make and it was a it was a fun 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 set to be on all right uh next up always finding out new stuff about robert meyer burnett all right uh brandon writes hey john i know you said you didn't love the defy bloods but you did like it but i have to know what your thoughts about delroy lindo's performance he was ridiculously good in my opinion also did you watch king of staten island yet no ann and i you know what ann and i were gonna watch king of staten island last night um but for whatever reason we stumbled across that Mindy Kaling movie that came out like a year or two ago, Late Night, with Emma Thompson, and Anne had never seen it. And I'm like, you would like this movie, honey. And then we watch it, and I forgot how good it was. Remember a couple of Comic-Cons, or a Cinemacons ago, it was like the talk of Cinemacon that mm -hmm. movie. And not a lot of people saw it. It's really good. Again, Emma Thompson, Mindy Kaling, it's called Late Night, it's really fun. So we ended up watching Yeah, it was instead. last year when we were there, they showed it. Oh, that's right. They had a big last, screening the and they had a, a party afterwards. A big party for it, and I didn't see the screening of it because I was kind of sick that night. Yeah. But, um, I, I did watch it afterwards. Great little movie. Anyway, yeah, I didn't love Defy Bloods. I liked it. It's good. But I, I was I thought Black Klansman was significantly better. But, you know, one of the things I was really excited about in this movie was that Delroy Lindo was going to be in it because he's always good. His performance in this movie, if the Oscars were tomorrow, he's got to be considered the frontrunner for the Oscar. He's got to be considered the frontrunner for the Oscar. Now, where the Oscars are going to be, like by the time we get around to them and where the movie industry is going to be and how many performances will come out, we don't know. But Delroy Lindo is amazing in the movie. Now, it just came out on Netflix. I don't know if either of you guys had a chance. You did see The Five Bloods? Yeah, I what saw it on Saturday Lindo's night. Performance? Oh, my God. It is. First of all, I can't stop thinking about this movie. Is it the perfect film? No. There were a couple little things, uh, you know, that 
that that that stood out uh the discovery of the gold was a little like really that was a little convenient <clears throat> yeah that was um, weak <laughs> right and then there was a there's a moment at the end that you just go wait do we just miss a scene because there's a I whole rel- know exactly what you're talking about yep. that th- but that being said those two things being said this film has so many layers upon layers upon the subtext is so rich and delicious you could write an entire dissertation on this film of all the historical references and I mean even just like when they're walking through the club and it kind of like it gives you that sense of soul train there are so many things that uh, the uh, mortality rate of women in childbirth I mean like there's specifically black women in childbirth there's so many levels and layers to this film that the more I think about it the more I can't stop thinking about it and I cried I was shocked Delroy Lindo's performance was so breathtaking his monologue is something like i just i'm 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 blown away yes he 100 percent deserves the nomination he is 100 percent the front runner I, I i can't imagine another performance that could come close and i loved it and i can't wait to watch it again and hopefully again on the big screen i hope that it actually does at some point have some level of a theatrical release, but I also have to commend Spike Lee and the marketing team for seizing the opportunity because there's also certain moments that you go, holy shit, did they film this like three weeks ago? Because this could not be more timely. Well done. Hats off. I loved it. I highly recommend it. I want to see it again. Rob, did you have a chance to see it yet? Because it just came out. I I, I just dropped on Thursday night. I haven't seen it. All right, let's move on here. Bill Hausa writes, I'm a 45-year-old straight white dude and can't get enough, can't get over how good She-Ra is on Netflix. Uh, <laughs> 80s cartoons will always rule for me, but this might be the best start-to-finish animated show I have ever seen. It's got great humor and heart with a fun with fun cameo voices. Um, yeah, listen, I have not watched it. Um, I have no desire to watch it. I never will watch it. But I have been surprised to hear how many people are saying they really love that show. I've been hearing I've been hearing from a bunch of people that they really really love the show. Well, you like the Harley Quinn animated series. Why would you say that you would never watch the She-Ra series if it's being so highly recommended? To it, you? It's it's it looks like a completely different type of series. Like why I love the the uh, this like Harley Quinn. That's kind of like saying you like The Godfather. Why wouldn't you watch Dude Where's My Car? You know, it's it's because like, they look wow. Like so She-Ra <laughs> is Boy, Dude a... Where's My Car. No, no, no what I'm saying is. Yikes. They are clearly two very completely different okay. things. All right, my, oh my! By the way, oh my god! I just watched the latest episode of Harley Quinn, and holy shit, it's so good. Anyway, uh, Batman and Joker are so great. Anyway, uh, that's it. But listen, I am hearing really good things about it. I'm hearing people really are enjoying it. So you are not alone in that, Bill Hauser. You are not alone in that. All right. Next up, uh, Watchmen of the Wakandan Forever. I mean, right? Uh, WWE champions. Number one, Charlotte Flair. Number two, China. Really? You know what? First celebrity that ever followed me on Twitter was China. Really? She was the first May celebrity ever to follow peace. me. Uh, number three, Lita. Number four, Trish Stratus. Good Canadian girl. Number five, Sasha Banks, who's going to be in The Mandalorian, by the way. Number six, Sable. Number seven, Bailey. Number eight, Asaka. Uh, number nine, Ronda Rousey. Number ten, Becky Lynch. P.S. Backlash was up last night. You and Anne still keeping up with wrestling. John, who are some of your favorites? I, I don't keep up with wrestling anymore. I mean, I, I will watch the odd pay-per-view because Anne and Kaori do watch wrestling like every week Corey comes over and they catch up on all the shows and they actually Ann and Corey actually have a weekly wrestling podcast <laughs> that they do talking about professional wrestling 
And so I'll watch the big pay-per-views with them, but I really don't follow it nearly as much anymore. I don't know who half the people on it are anymore. But uh, Anne keeps up with it incessantly. Anne completely keeps up with it. She does. All right, Diamond Dogs Puppy writes, uh, one of two. Good day, John. Monday's underrated film for today is 1993's The Last Action Hero. Is that underrated? Uh, is that underrated? Uh, no, I'm starring that. Arnie and Helm by the director of Predator. I wasn't the biggest fan the first time watching it in theaters. I thought it would be more a serious tone. However, over the years, it has captured that rare movie magic, glorious stunt work, great cameos, zippy humor, and ahead of its time satire that made the film extremely rewatchable. I uh, wish it was more successful so there could have been a franchise. Your thoughts? I'll, I'm going to be honest. I was never the biggest fan of uh, Last Action Hero. Conceptually, the concept was great. It was a great concept for a movie. It just never clicked on it for me. You'd be surprised, Diamond Dog, though. I know a lot of people that do really have a really special place in their heart for Last Action Hero. But it, yeah, for me, it was never really one that clicked on all that level. Rob, you, you saw Last Action Hero. Uh, you, I mean, it's, it is all your favorite film of all time, right? Uh, yeah, no, I, I, you know what? I was actually on the set of that movie. Really? Uh, yeah, and it was John McTiernan directed it and coming off of Hunt for Red October and Die Hard. I was, I just thought it was a bit of a mess. It was all over the place and I didn't think it really gelled. Right. Yeah, you find a lot of mixed feelings on on that particular film. You find a lot of mixed feelings. Yeah. On that one. All right. Uh, next up, thanks for that, Diamond Dog. Luke one two three four writes: Can an actress who is eighteen years older than her? Oh, jeez. Let me read that again. I thought it said, <clears throat> Can an actress who is eighteen years older than her breasts? How is that possible? But that's not what it said. It said, Can an actress who is eighteen years or older show her breasts on camera? if the character they are playing is supposed to be a minor. That's interesting. That is an interesting question, actually. You know, it reminds me of, do you guys remember the name of the movie? It was uh, Jeremy Irons a bunch of years ago, where it was a movie where he was having an Lolita. affair. Lolita. What's that? Lolita. That's what it was, yes. Well, look at American Beauty. Mina Suvari was That's playing right. um, a minor. She was playing a high school girl, and there was the fantasy scene that Kevin Spacey had, where she opens her shirt and poses. And Twyla uh, uh, Thora Birch, same film, also showed her breasts. Yeah, that happens. I mean, look at um, even like American Pie, Shannon Elizabeth. Right. I mean, it's done all the time. Phoebe Cates in Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Oh my God! You know what? That actually made me question my sexuality, and I don't even think I inserted puberty at that point. That's a good scene. Because you were like, what, 15 when you did Spartacus, right? Yes. Yes, you were 15 when you did Sp No. no. <laughs> you looked 15. Um, Thanks. So, okay. It's, also, you got to keep in mind, though, it's asking a question. Can you portray something on screen that is illegal? Because, honestly, when you think about it, it's asking the same thing. Okay, if, if you're in a crime movie and they're pretending to shoot somebody in the head, can you do that? Because it's illegal to shoot somebody in the head. Well, yes, you can portray something artificially in that. So, yeah, but all the great examples you guys came up with, I wouldn't have pulled any of those off the top of my head. Those are great. So, yes, you can do that. And even with the movie Kids, weren't were they weren't they actually minors? Yeah. They were minors. And there's I, a lot of controversy over oh that, God, though. That, I, that's it's probably a Canadian why. Canadian film, too. And I, I Damn remember Canadians. I, I, saw, I saw that movie, and I was like, I can't believe they made this. Like it's yeah, because it's very very explicit. Anyway, all right, let's move on. A good question, Luke. One, two, three, four. All right, next up, Fabian Vegas writes. Robert Pattinson. Oh, the guy from Twilight. No, the guy from Lighthouse. Holy hell, what an amazing movie. Loved everything about it. The atmosphere, vibe, cinematography, but the performance is incredible. The performances in Lighthouse are absolutely top notch. I could have watched um, these two guys uh, just talk to each other the entire movie. 
Willem Dafoe and Robert Pattinson, you could have just been two and a half hours of them sitting at a table with a cup of whiskey each just talking. I would have bought into it. Look, I'll tell you, though, I'm still not quite sure how I feel about Lighthouse overall because I walked out of that movie and go, what did I just watch? Like there's so, there are parts of it that are so freaking brilliant and then parts of it that are just really more concept than anything else where it's like, I get it. This probably made looked great in the director's imagination, but I, I don't know. It is a, it's a movie you got to see though. Like Rob, I know you saw it. Aaron, did you have a chance to see Lighthouse? I didn't have a chance to see it, but the way that everyone describes it, it kind of makes me feel like you know that scene in Jaws where they're sitting around the table in the interior of the boat. And I want to go home. <laughs> and the oh gosh, I forget his name. The older actor. He's telling that story, and then you see Richard Dreyfus, and he's like just watching the whole time. I feel like that is basically lighthouse but for two hours <laughs> just that conversation for two hours it was I, I again rob my reaction coming out was like what did i just watch yeah <laughs> but it's pretty i thought it was pretty astonishing it's really about a guy that goes insane really yeah. or two guys that go insane or maybe they were insane to begin with but it's you know it's a descent into madness mm. and I, I i liked it a lot all right next up edward wells writes pulled out the dvd case over the weekend buckaroo bonsai 1984 peter weller jeff goldblum ellen barkin john lithgow uh speaking of john lithgow he was in that uh, movie late night that i was just talking about uh kurgan himself Cl- clancy brown one of the first few movies i rented from the video store over the summer weekend when i was 15. yeah i saw that when i was a kid and i and i have not seen it since rob let me let me go on the over under here. I'm going to guess uh, 75% <laughs> that you own some kind of physical disc of this movie. That's low. Uh, you would be correct. I actually have three different Buckaroo Bonsai I'm discs. I'm sorry. <laughs> and and my, my, girl, my girlfriend and Elizabeth and I, uh, we, did, we did an episode of our show whining about movies about Buckaroo Bonsai. She had never. I didn't s- see you do that, that issue. She never saw it before and she liked it. She thought it was a. It's it's the movie's crazy. It's like the ultimate cult film, but the, the the cast is unbelievable. It's unbelievable. All right, next up here we got Ryan Loner who writes one huge issue with Artemis Fowl is that it's terrible. Uh, is that you know, I haven't watched it yet. I do want to watch it though. Um, is that art? Is that in the movie? Okay, let me try this again. One huge issue with Artemis Fowl movie is that Artemis is the villain of the first couple of books before redeeming himself, which Kenneth Branagh just does not seem to get and insists on acting like we should be rooting for the smug jackass. Well, again, look, I I haven't seen the movie yet. I haven't seen the movie yet. I'm hearing it's terrible, which explains why Disney decided to dump it on streaming and not give it a theatrical release. That said, I've also not read the books. And I, I always want to caution. Now, again, take everything I say at the grain of salt because I haven't seen the movie yet. But you should never judge a movie by the book. You have to judge a movie on its own merits. Mm-hmm. And like, and I'm just saying from the from an outsider looking in, Ryan. My thing is, I don't care if in the books it was this and this and this. I don't care. All I care about is is the movie good. That's all I care about. And apparently the movie's not good. So maybe so I don't know. We'll see about that. But yeah, I have heard a few people say they kind of jumped over a lot of things and went right to kind of portraying the lead character a certain way, which is probably more of a Disney decision than it probably was a Kenneth Branagh decision. That was probably something they wanted them to do right away. They wanted their Harry Potter, I think. I think that was the idea behind them doing Arnold's Fowl. They wanted their version of Harry Potter. 
And again, I'm speaking all this, having not watched the movie yet. I'm probably going to watch it in the next day or two, and we'll see what I think about it after that. All right, Fifty Shades of Geek writes, I agree with Diamond Dog's puppy on Memento. I watched it in the army with a friend before going on guard duty, and we both hated it so much, we spent the entire four-hour guard duty talking about how bad it was. So somebody wrote in on yesterday's show, guys, that they hated Christopher Nolan's Memento. I, I know. It is my third favorite Christopher Nolan film. My favorite oh, so is Insomnia. Good. My second is Dark Knight. My third is actually Memento. And it just kind of, and it's the movie that put Christopher Nolan on the map. It's yeah. the movie that got him the Dark Knight thing. So I, everybody already knows that I love it, but it is a twisty kind of movie. I mean, it's not going to be one that's for everybody. Uh, you know, Aaron, what, I'm assuming from your reaction that you like yes. Memento. I loved it. I love psychological thrillers. They're my favorite ones. I am, I am that person that I will go along for the ride. I will not try to figure it out. I hate spoilers. I want to, I, I want to discover every single moment as the filmmaker is feeding it to me. And then I want the filmmaker to then all of a sudden twist my entire interpretation of everything I think I've seen and make me realize, oh my gosh, I saw Saw that in a completely different way and then changed my mind again i i love those kinds of films and um and i thought memento was a beautiful way of not just uh illustrating that with the story but also uh physicalizing it by the notes the tattoos i mean i just thought that was so brilliant the way that was done i loved it there were a lot of interesting things yeah rob what are your thoughts on memento i i love memento i mean i when i saw it same same thing like what aaron just said i was so transfixed by how they were telling this story i'd never seen anything like that before and i thought guy pierce was great mm -hmm. all right uh next up uh, edward wells writes welcome back three amigos thank you Yay! so much edward we appreciate that man it's good having the whole crew in, in the house right now now we got to get uh chris back sometimes mm -hmm. uh murray reich writes <clears throat> The one thing I'm worried about Bill and Ted 3 is, like most movie sequels, repeating the same thing over and over again. Like, I've enjoyed parts of the second one, but it was basically copying the first movie. I hope new ones offer something new to today's generation. Yeah, you know, it's funny. It's You do have to find that weird line to walk about, you. look, you're doing Bill and Ted 3. You're going to need some nostalgia in there. You, you've got to have some nostalgia in there. But then you got to be careful not to cross that line where it's just too much of just repeating what was in the first one the trailer in this one be excellent to each other okay well yeah but that was kind of done in a joke way but you do want to make sure they don't do too much of that i still don't know how i feel about this movie at all because it has been so long and i'm not a big fan of bill and ted 2 so i, I and i really don't know i don't think this movie is going to do as good at the box office as a lot of people think I just don't think there's as much of an audience for this movie as people think there will be. But I, I think you're right, Murray. I think, but it's not just Bill and Ted Three. Any movie like that has to be careful to approach that line and throw in some good nostalgia, but not cross that line where it's becoming, you know, gratuitous and it's just becoming tired. So they do have to be careful about that. An anonymous viewer writes, if. Um, if we're so used to having multiple films opening the same week or one or two weeks apart, then why have the late July to August movies moved? Uh, there may be some people that don't want to see Tenant, but a different genre. I think, list, yeah, look, we are, we live in an era now, COVID-19 pandemic notwithstanding, where we're getting two, three, four, sometimes five wide release movies all on the same day. Yes. However, a studio will often try to at least try to uh, separate and give some buffer to their own movies, especially in a situation like this. When you got Tenet and Wonder Woman, you don't want those two movies opening two weeks apart, especially since part of the appeal of opening Tenet so early is the fact that it's going to have the movie theaters all to itself. 
for the mm-hmm. most part, to overcome the drawbacks of there being limited seating capacity and blah, blah, blah. It, that gets overcome by having it all to yourself. You want more than two weeks. Plus, let's be honest here, most comic book movie fans who are going to be interested in Wonder Woman 84 are Christopher Nolan fans too. So there is going to be a little bit of cross-pollination there. So it does seem to me to make sense. You're going to want a little bit more than two weeks buffer between your own movies, especially when you want to capitalize on the fact that not many other movies are going to be in theater at the time. So they want to be careful with that. All right, Murray Reich writes, um, were the filmmakers of Unhinged being too or overly too optimistic that their film would release on time by July 1st? Did that hurt marketing? Uh, did that hurt marketing the movie or it's not a big deal? Listen, I think they know this is their studio's first film. Unhinged is the studio's first film with Russell Crowe. I think they knew this movie was never destined to be a big blockbuster hit. I think they knew that. And I think taking advantage of the fact that they can legitimately say while Tenet was going to be the first major film, Unhinged was going to be able to use as part of their marketing. We are the first new movie coming back into theaters, ladies and gentlemen. Although that's not entirely true either. There's been some smaller ones that have been like a little rom-com. But for the most part, they're saying we're going to be the first wide release film to go back into theaters. I think that was more valuable to them than what they knew their box office grosses were going to be in ideal situations. So I'm guessing that's probably their approach there. All right, 69 Dudes just tipped $6.90. Thank you so much, 69 Dudes. Appreciate the support, man. The one Conan Forever writes, a deadly pandemic, political upheaval, economic crisis, and global unrest. John, if it wasn't real, you would swear it was a movie. Everyone stay healthy productive and safe we'll be in theaters together soon we are all one tribe wakandan forever it's true and actually you know what aaron just during the break aaron you had a you had a you had a theory about what's going on in 2020 i wish that i could take credit for this i cannot it was something that i saw online but i did read somewhere someone uh said that the end of the world has actually already happened but we are just not aware of it because we are in purgatory so it's and I 100 percent we are in we're, Lost. We're in the final season of Lost. And also, if this were a movie, someone else online pointed out because again, I'm I'm not this 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 witty or quick, but someone else pointed out that the entire Murder Hornet storyline really didn't work. Why introduce those <laughs> characters if you're not going to follow through? It's like you know, in um, what was the movie the Disaster Artist was based off of? Um, the Room. The Room. The Room. When she's like. And the test came back. I have breast cancer. And then we never hear anything else about it. it so, yeah, I, I feel like this movie has a lot of plot holes. And um, at <laughs> this, this 2020 point, movie, this 2020 movie, I'm just ready for it to end. But apparently if we're in purgatory, it's never fucking going to. All right, guys, let's move on here. Diamond Dogs Puppy writes. Oh, and before I forget, John, uh, it's Stephen Dorff and Elizabeth Taylor. Uh, you have to do another Schmodown soon, Diamond Dog Puppy over and out. Yeah, I, I, listen, who, I'll never say never. Who knows what will happen in the future, but I just, I don't have time. But yeah, those are two big, which is crazy because Stephen Dorff is actually a guy I've met on a couple of occasions. I actually watched a movie with him once, and then I got a movie trivia Schmodown question where the answer was Stephen Dorff, and I'm like, oh, that's... Oh, crap. Why am I freezing on his name? And then, of course, I also froze on Elizabeth Taylor's name once. Uh, next up, Rob Ronan writes, Hey, John, in Infinity War, Thanos whooped on Hulk, but considering the angrier he gets, the stronger he gets. So I'd say that he just needed more time to get angry. With that said, would it be safe to assume that Banner's fear could have contributed to Hulk's defeat? I don't think so. I don't think Banner has anything to do with what does or does not happen with Hulk, notwithstanding, you know, Professor Hulk that comes later on. I, I don't know. Listen. The whole thing about Hulk is that there is no theoretical limit to his power. Theoretically speaking, the more enraged he gets, the stronger he gets. 
But Rob, that's never been something that they've introduced into the MCU. Like they've never used that. They've never said that. No. So I think you know Thanos with the gauntlet and one of the stones, whatever, beating on Hulk. I, I think that was the end of that fight. I don't think if it continues, like in Thor Ragnarok, I think if that fight continues on, I think Hulk wins the fight with Thor. But I didn't get that impression with the Thanos thing. No. How did you see it? I agree with you. And you know, you're dealing with the Infinity Gauntlet. You know, you're dealing with the power of reality itself. So however much power Thanos needed, he would have received it. All right. Let's move on here. Next up, Muhammad Ibrahim writes, Hey, uh, JNR, just finished binging Defending Jacob. I got to watch that. I, I hear it's quite good. Uh, and I have this, and I have to same probably meant to say i have to say that it was a great show minus the last episode it made me look back on knives out and realize that chris evans is the most likely to succeed outside of the mcu scarlett johansson too maybe thank you well scarlett johansson has already thoroughly succeeded outside of the mcu she was already a thorough success outside the mcu before she ever joined the mcu so there's that so absolutely but yeah chris Evans, man, I loved him in Knives Out, uh, and I, that's one of the main reasons I am really looking forward to seeing um, Defending Jacob, which is an Apple Plus show. I've been impressed with the two Apple Plus shows I've watched so far, being Morning Show and For All Mankind. So I am really looking forward to checking that one out as well. Not to mention the woman who plays Chris Evans' wife. I forget her name, but she's from she's one of the stars of Downton Abbey, and she was just in The Gentleman. Which is still my favorite movie of the year. The Gentleman is still my favorite movie of 2020. So I do want to see it, Mohammed. So thanks for sharing that opinion, man. All right. Eduardo O'Neill writes, Now that you saw Avatar, The Last Airbender, did it change slash deepen your dislike of the movie? Also, what did you think about the final showdown in the show? Well, you know, it's funny. I just mentioned the other day that I actually want to go back and watch the Sham Hammers Avatar, The Last Airbender movie now. Because when I first saw it, I had never seen the show. And I just knew, wow, this movie sucks. But now I want to see it and see if it deepens that. Or maybe, now that I've seen the show, maybe it'll give me a little bit more appreciation for it. I, I don't know. All I remember is that Rathbone, the guy who played Suka, uh, like going, Kitara! And he's like, okay, I'm out. I remember it was like, it was like 10 minutes in the movie. I'm like, okay, I'm completely checked out of this movie. But uh, and the final battle showdown, I'm not going to lie to you, a little underwhelmed. Little alone, considering it was three seasons of building up to the Avatar facing the Fire Lord, I was a little underwhelmed with their battle, to be honest with you. But the, but the final episode itself was remarkable, and I really did like what they did with it. All right, uh, John McKinney. Oh, actually, I got to ask you. Ask Tom for me sometime. Mm -hmm. I'm almost going to guarantee the answer is yes. If he's watched Avatar The Last Airbender, the, okay. the animated show. Because I, being as big of a geek as he is, I'm almost positive he's probably watched it. But just do me a favor and ask him that question for me. Because okay. I'd like to hear his answer. All right, John McKinney writes, What annoys me is that when somebody has a different opinion, they say they didn't watch the movie or they were missing the point. No, they didn't. They watched the movie and they just didn't like it. Oh, no, no. I, yeah, I... Listen, one of the most, the biggest pet peeves to me in hearing any movie fans debate an argument is saying, you just didn't get it. No, I got it. It just didn't work. At least for me. It is It is one of the laziest, dumbest, I hate it when I hear, hear people say that, oh, you just didn't get it. No, no, no. I got it. 
I just think you're wrong. And that's, you may be right, and I may be wrong, but that don't don't make excuses for why people disagree with you. I hate that, John. I'm with you on that. All right, Ben Rayner writes, Hey, John, just wanted to clarify my Eastwood question yesterday. Of course I knew he wasn't a one-trick pony, uh, and I knew he made some excellent films outside of, the, uh, outside of Westerns. But my point was, if he did return to make one more Western, would people go? Uh, that's what I was trying to say. Sorry for the confusion. No, no, no problem, Ben. Again, I still think, you know, this has been coming up because one of the things, guys, that a lot of people have been asking, or saying is that during the, the lockdown, Godfather has been one of the big movies people say they've never watched before. Now they've watched uh, Lord of the Rings. Been shocked how many people said, you know, I never watched Lord of the Rings and now I have because of the lockdown. But third that I've heard most of is people saying they went back and watched the old Clint Eastwood classics. Mm. So obviously all the classics he directed and starred in what I consider to be the greatest Western of all time and, and Unforgiven. He is a celebrated award-winning director if he were to make another western today would people flock out to see it now what i said at the time was there's going to be some hardcore cinephiles that will go well eastwood directing another western of course but we represent the vast minority will people in general want to flock out and i think that will completely depend on the exact same rules about will anybody go see any movie do the trailers look good is the word of mouth blah 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 aaron if if clint eastwood were to come out with a new western tomorrow could you automatically assume it's going to be a big hit or, or are there other things to consider? No, I mean, we have seen time and time again that a big name director and a big name star don't necessarily guarantee box office success for all the reasons why you just said. It depends on the story. It depends on the climate. It depends on, you know, how how much excitement there is. You know, are we interested in seeing a, a, a Western movie right now? I don't know. And how old is, how old is, not to be Clint Eastwood would turn 90 on yeah, May 31st. Let the man enjoy his retirement uh, i mean you know? he's not exactly gonna come out gunfighting anytime soon right but exactly remember he's he's not retired either i mean he just directed richard jewell i yeah. know um, but as a western star like how's he gonna run are we talking about as the director I mean, as or director. as the star well, yeah as the director i mean he could make a movie but i just can't see him playing the man with no name at 90. well i mean he, <laughs> he was just he also just starred in the mule I mean, he's still. I mean, hey, I man! You know what? I saw Jessica Tandy do Trip to Bountiful on Broadway eight shows a week at eighty-eight, and she smashed it. So, hey, right. you know what? I I, 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 say good for him if he is able to do it. If he has the mental facilities and he has the physical stamina, you know, if there is a western that you know wets his whistle, then go for it, Clint. Why not? Uh, I and I think that in order to support the dynasty that he has created, you know, I mean, for for anyone in this industry to have the success of even one of the movies that he has had is phenomenal. To have the career that he has had over his lifetime is is truly unbelievable. L so, listen to some of these. Listen to some mm -hmm. of these. And we're just we're just going to start with Unforgiven. Okay, Unforgiven was 1992. These are some of the, and we're not even going to look at his work before then. I mean, Heartbreak Ridge and a bunch of the other things that came before that. These are some of the movies he's directed since. So we've got, I, I think, a tremendously underrated film, Space Cowboys. I love yep, Space Cowboys. I, love Space I know Cowboys you like Space too. Cowboys, too. Mystic River, which I believe oh, right. which won Sean Penn an Academy Award. And I can't. I, I think Clint at least got nominated for Best Director for that. He is, that is that the same as Mystic Pizza, just different names? It's a sequel, actually. Oh, got it. Se okay, I figured they were connected somehow. Not a lot of people knew that. Julia well, Roberts. <laughs> um, Million Dollar Baby. Oh, right. Which is another Academy Award thing. Flags of Our Father and Letters to Iwo Jima. Um, uh, Invictus, which I thought did not get enough credit that it deserved. 
uh, American Sniper, which was hugely popular and successful. Sully, that he did with Tom Hanks, that I thought was way better than it deserved to be. Uh, then, of course, he's he directed The Mule, and he directed Richard Jewell, which, again, not a lot of people saw, but it got an, other Academy Award nomination uh, because he directed... Um, uh, Misery uh, star. Uh, why am Kathy I Bates. Kathy Bates. I think got uh, Kathy Bates an Academy Award nomination for that. Oh, right. And that's just since Unforgiven. I mean, the dude mm-hmm. is a stud. The dude is a stud. Okay, anyway, let's move on here. Um, an anonymous viewer writes, am I right? Yes, an anonymous viewer writes, since Disney is doing a live action remake of The Hunchback of Notre Dame, do you think they'll include the song someday? Fingers crossed that they'll include it. If you listen uh, to it, make sure you grab tissues. It will make you cry. Listen, whenever I think of the animated version of Hunchback, all I think about is the, the song Rolo is it, uh, or Frollo. What's Frollo? Is, yeah, yeah, yeah it's Frollo. It's his song about burning. It's like that. Seriously, that animated movie is dark. I'm still not sure, though. If their live action Hunchback is going to be based on the animated film or if it's going to be based on the grander narrative of the Hunchback, I just don't know yet. Look, they've got some like Lion King that they made musical, but they're doing Mulan, which they're not making musical. So I don't remember if I've heard. Have any of you guys heard or remember hearing if they said that this Hunchback live action remake is going to be musical or not? I don't I haven't heard that they are. I, I don't know. I would imagine it would, though. There's a lot of songs in it. There, like, yeah. I, I mean, there are. That it would make sense. But, I mean, there's I a lot know. of songs in Mulan, too, and they're not doing that. Although they'll be playing the music. It's, it's an interesting question. We'll have to wait and see how that turns out. I am looking forward to it, though. Uh, Ryan writes, just turned 21, and I feel old. Well, happy birthday to you, Ryan. Happy belated. And oh, don't worry about it, man. It just goes all downhill from there. <laughs> all right. Jared Morris writes, John, I sort of agree with you that the Diaz brothers are overrated. I don't think Nick is overrated, but I do think Nate is a little bit overrated. Uh, but I will say, even though not the biggest, uh, but I will agree that they have the most loyal diehard fan. They really do loyal diehard fan base in the ufc when the diaz brothers fights there's fans um their their fans fight diaz bros opponents fans lol it's true the diaz brothers have a psychotically loyal fan base and why not these two guys are entertaining as hell they have way larger than life personalities and they just kind of embody the badassness of the the fighter the fighter spirit you know both of them they're incredible i love watching nate diaz fight again i just think he's overrated as a fighter uh i think he's a better than average fighter but not an elite fighter and when i think his record plays out we were talking about jorge maz uh, the other day as well i think he's overrated as well nick though is incredibly dangerous his older brother nick is is very very dangerous i do think he's he's that next step above but these two guys are incredibly fun to watch fight. All right, uh, an anonymous viewer writes, one of two, love the show, thank you so much. I recently watched your Interstellar review and you praised it for its ambition. However, to some degree, its high concept sometimes went beyond audience's grasp. Um, two of two, do you think Nolan's earned, oh sorry, do you think Nolan learned from that making Tenet because it's been labeled as his most ambitious film yet and he doesn't want to confuse audiences with his new high concept but rather be fairly complex but easier to grasp like Inception. Here's the thing, I I get, I take heat sometimes because I say Inception is actually my second least favorite Christopher Nolan film. Sorry, what? Interstellar. Interstellar, oh. not Inception. Interstellar is my second least favorite Christopher Nolan film. I like every Christopher Nolan film. I like them all. It's just a matter of which ones do I like more than others. But there's no doubt that Nolan swung for the fences in Interstellar. He really did. He he went balls out, gutsy, ambitious, 
just swung for the fences conceptually and everything. And narratively, that worked in most cases, and it didn't work in other cases. By the end of the film, I thought, this was a really good movie that was really ambitious. It didn't quite execute the way I think he originally envisioned it in his head. Whether he's learned lessons from that going into Tenet, I don't know. Like, Because to Nolan, he might think, nope, I crushed it with Interstellar. And therefore, I'm going to take it even one step further with Tenet. So I don't know. Rob, Like you and I, I can't remember the last time you and I talked about Interstellar. But I, what do you think about that? And do you think he's learned lessons that he's going to bring into Tenet? I think the end of Interstellar is disappointing. This idea that love is an actual dimension or... Uh, it, I guess because I read Jonathan Nolan's original script when Spielberg was going to direct it, it was much more grounded science fiction. I mean, it gets just too esoteric for me at the end. And I just didn't buy it. I didn't buy the end of Interstellar. And I think it's ambitious, but I don't love Interstellar. I Aaron, just don't love it. Have you watched Interstellar? I didn't see it. No. Oh, you should watch Interstellar. Because, okay, I, I mean, just it's, it's... Well, I love the idea of an entire, like time warp that is just love i would like to go there well the, is that what it is, is well, i misinterpret what you're saying it's about saving humanity yeah blah blah but I you mean, know what i think I, I think i need to watch that movie right now for my soul it's a movie that i don't know what other director could have done it any better right i mean i seriously that is a movie that christopher nolan needs to direct and so i don't know if anybody could have done it any better all right uh soul brother number seven writes aaron is so beautiful oh thank aaron's you. a cutie isn't she thank uh you. I mean, I don't know why you're leaving Rob off that list. Robert is beautiful. <laughs> Robert I mean, is beautiful. It's okay. We're all beautiful in our own I, way. I, I'm, gonna, I'm going to uh, defer to my esteemed and beautiful colleague on uh, this one. I'm, I'm not that. I, I've, I was born with a face for radio. All right, next up, Richard uh, Joshua Richard writes, Hey, John, why does Christian Bale's Batman have a rep for not being comic accurate? Does Nolan's films just get credit for great villains and amazing directing and writing? Is it me or does Bale not get enough credit for his portrayal of the character? Oh, I don't think there is any way to justify saying Christian Bale doesn't get enough credit. He became a megastar because of Batman. And everybody would swear nothing will ever touch Christian Bale's Batman. I mean, so no. Was he underrated? No. He was universally lauded for his portrayal of Batman. And, and I liked it. Yeah, I got a little tired. <laughs> I got a little bit tired of that. Yes. But I mean, that's, that's what they wanted him to do. So it, it is what it is. But no, he, he got worlds of credit. Mm -hmm. for his portrayal as Batman. Listen, I don't like everything about Batman in the Christopher Nolan Batman movies, but those were all script things. Like, none of that was about Christian Bale's performance. I thought Bale performed it great. Look, he did not get, and this, but then again, this is a Nolan thing. This wasn't Christian Bale. He did not get the one thing about Batman that I think Ben Affleck absolutely got understood and portrayed, which was Bruce Wayne is not the real person. Bruce Wayne died in the alley with his parents and the Batman was born. And from there on out, Bruce Wayne is the fake facade. That's the fake. That's the mask. Batman is the actual individual. And that's something that Ben Affleck understood and got and really portrayed in Batman versus Superman that I appreciated so much. But that wasn't a matter of Christian Bale's performance. That was the matter of that's the way the movie was written. Bale was tremendous and got tremendous amounts of respect for it. So I don't think we can say he was underrated for that because he got a lot of really good praise and justifiably so. All right. Uh, next up, we go to Jaron Morris, who writes, like you, John, I was thrilled and excited when GSP came back and fought and got his belt uh, from the count. That's Michael Bisbing, who's also a really fun fighter to watch. He's retired now. However, with that being said, when Randy Couture returned after a year at the age of 43 years old and dominated Tim Sylvia, 
it was the best return in my opinion. I remember where I was. I, remember I was in a sports bar in Toronto watching Randy the Natural Couture coming out of retirement at the age in his 40s to fight this monster, Tim Sylvia, who was the heavyweight champion and fought and won the heavyweight title at that time. And then he went on defended against Gabriel Gonzaga, who had that amazing head kick finish. Anyway. I just remember losing. It's one of the greatest things. That's why Randy Couture, when Leota Machida fought Randy Couture years later, I think Randy was 46 when Leota Machida fought, fought him and ended him with the Karate Kid crane technique, front kick to the head and knocked out Randy Couture. But I remember Leota Machida, as soon as he knocked out Randy, dropped to his knees, bowed to Randy Couture, got up, got the mic and said, this man is a hero. He is a hero. And I think that fight against Tin Sylvia coming out of retirement, he had incredible fights against, you know, the California bad boy. He had tremendous fights against Liddell. He had tremendous fights against all this stuff. But it was that fight coming out of retirement, 43, boom. Which is why when I went to go train at his place, when I went to go train at Randy Couture's gym in Hollywood, I was like, this is awesome. I was, it was just like one of the greatest things ever and then I got to go and visit his uh, I got to go visit him at his gym in uh, Las Vegas uh, uh, Extreme Couture out there which is great but yeah man that that moment is one of the greatest ever and yes even though GSP is my favorite fighter of all time I will put that moment of him at in his 40s coming out of retirement to win the heavyweight title I'll put that above it I get very excited when I talk about the UFC all right Jaron Morris also writes uh, John also it is is it fair to say is it fair to say this Conor McGregor equals the most profitable Khabib is the baddest man on the planet Justin Gaethje most violent also what are your thoughts on Fight Island uh, yeah Conor McGregor is the most bankable fighter in the UFC where he goes attention follows it, it simply is Khabib Nurmagomedov is easily the baddest man on the planet. I I think he could go up and fight heavyweights and beat them. I really do. I think he can go. He he's a lightweight. He can go up to heavyweight, fight heavyweights, and I think he'll win. I, I mean, he is simply the best pound for pound fighter in the world. I've never seen anybody as dominant as him. Um, he is a scary, scary beast. But Justin Gaethje is a maestro of violence. And I cannot wait to watch him. And, and yeah, the Fight Island stuff coming up. Three title fights in one card in July on Fight Island. Going to be awesome. Can't wait to see it. Alan writes, Hey, John, I always look forward to hearing your opinion on movie news. A while ago, Mel Gibson was being looked at for Suicide Squad 2. I remember that. Uh, now that James Gunn is doing it, what are some other properties at DC or Mar Marvel that you would like to see him direct? But when you say him, I'm going to guess he's talking about... Uh, Mel Gibson. I'm going to think he's going to talk about Mel Gibson. I don't know. Look. I've always, I don't know what you guys think about this. I've always been a, I don't care about X director directing X movie. All I care about is, it a, is it a talented director? That's all I care about. I thought him doing Suicide Squad 2, being as he's maybe a few cards short of a deck, I thought it was a perfect fit, to be honest with you. I'm very excited that James Gunn's doing it, though. So I don't really care. You could announce, I just think Mel Gibson is truly one of the most gifted directors in the world today. So I don't care. You give him any property, and I'd be totally fine with with seeing it. Rob, do you do you think there's one particular one that he mix well with? Just jumping in the top of my head when I heard that, uh, Deathstroke, the Terminator. Ooh, I would love to see that. Mel Gibson do a term, that Terminator movie, oh. the Deathstroke movie. You know, especially after watching um, the end of Justice League. Well, uh, what's uh, what's uh, what's the movie he did again uh, in the in the jungle? Um, um, Apocalypto. Apocalypto. Oh, that was fantastic. When you see the way he conducts 
action and violence and he can tell story without mm-hmm. even dialogue and you, you the woman giving like birth that. in the oh. by herself in like the whole oh my gosh that was incredible you know who i would love to see if it weren't james gunn directing suicide squad gary Busey. <laughs> directing Talk- it Talk about a couple cards short of a deck. That would be phenomenal. Okay, here's what we're going to do. <laughs> Just to like a side version of Suicide Squad, totally from the mind of Gary Busey. The dead presidents are surfers. <laughs> I love... Also, I love Gary Busey. It should have been called... Uh, I love Point Break. I, it, honestly, the Fast and Furious should have just been called Point Break Redux. But anyway, <laughs> I love Point Break as well. All right, Can't Be a Fan writes... I can't believe Kenneth Branagh directed Artemis Fowl. I know, I know. I haven't even watched the movie yet, and I can't believe it. I never read that the books, but I read Branagh's interview where he justified the changes to the material, saying his version of Artemis is like Michael Corleone. I'm in shock that he made this movie. Uh, that was just that. Yeah, listen, I again, one of the reasons why I was excited about watching Artemis Fowl, because I've never read the books. Good enough. Kenneth Branagh's directing it? Sign me up, because he's great. Yeah. And he's great. He's shown with movies also like like Cinderella and the original Thor, which I still think the first Thor movie is a top 10 greatest comic book movie of all time. He's shown he can do genre as well. So, yeah, I was really, really sad to hear about how bad that movie is. But I'll watch it myself soon enough and we'll see where it goes. Uh, let's see. Next up, uh, T. Shakura writes. And we've got a couple of minutes left here, guys. Uh, getting sick of this recent trend of review conspiracy theories. People are saying The Last of Us 2's Metacritic score is sketchy just because they they wanted the game to fail. Uh, same thing happens to Star Wars. Either the critics or audience score is phony, dumb. You know, it's the same thing. It, so Last of Us 2, for those of you who did not know, some leaks came out that I didn't like either. I didn't like what I was hearing in the leaks. But a lot of people got their panties in a twist and got all upset about the things they heard and started vowing this game is going to suck and this game is going to fail without ever playing the game or seeing the game. And what I said at the time was, even though I agree, I don't like what I'm hearing from the leaks either. Imagine if it got leaked a few months before Endgame came out that Thanos gets pinned down by the Avengers and Thor cuts his head off in the first 10 minutes of the movie. Imagine we found that out. A lot of people would have been pissed. Thanos is the main villain of the entire thing. You can't take him out. Everyone would have been pissed. But what happened? We then went to see the movie. That did happen. But then we saw the whole context of the movie and everything worked and it made sense. Ah. And all I said to people was, listen, before getting all kerfuffled about, oh, we don't like what we're hearing from that thing, just take a breath. Because I don't like them either, but just take a breath and let's wait till the game comes out and see how that plays in the context of the game. Because maybe it'll be great. I mean, who knows? So the reviews then come out on the 12th and they're stunning. The reviews are absolutely fantastic, including a Metacritic score of 96%, whether it's still there or not. But now what we're seeing again, it's the same conspiracy baby stuff that we saw like with, with when Marvel movies come out. Disney's paying off critics. Disney does not pay off critics. Um, they're saying the same thing. Oh, they, those reviews of Metacritic are sketchy. They just do. You know what? Just accept that other people really like it. Take a breath. The game comes out in a few days. Try it out. Maybe you'll love it. Maybe you'll hate it. Maybe I'll love it. Maybe I'll hate it. Who knows? But again, Tishikura, I agree. It's, it's, it's infuriating when I see bullshit like that. An anonymous viewer uh, sends in $50. Thank you, anonymous viewer, supporting the channel on that level, man. We appreciate that so much. He writes, can you please review Last Man? 
I don't know what Last Man is. It's a it, miniseries it's, funded from Kickstarter. It is a miniseries funded by Kickstarter. You can watch the whole series in less than a day. It reminds me of why I respect Ralph uh, Bakshi and John Carpenter. PC is flawed. It is available on VRV. This show needs more love. Well, I will probably not review it, uh, just to let you know. Um, I, I generally only review things that I think the, the wider audience is interested in or watching because I'm way behind on tons of stuff I should be watching and I don't have time to watch. Uh, so I can't I generally won't review smaller little things that isn't available for everybody to see right now or everybody's interested in because there's no point in me reviewing something if there's nobody to watch the review. So I will, so I'm just being honest with you. I'm, I'm not, I don't want to lie to you and say, oh man, yeah, thanks for letting me know about that. I'll get right on that and then never get right on that. So I'm just being honest with you straight up front. I, I probably will not. It sounds interesting. It sounds fascinating. And you just gave it a lot of free publicity. So that's awesome. Good on you. But I'm um, just to be honest with you, it's, it's probably not something I'll get around to watching. You never know. You never know. But I, I just have to be honest with you about that. But thank you for writing that in, man. Thank you for plugging that show. And thank you for supporting our show at the same time, man. I appreciate that. Cody Cordy, just a couple of questions left here, guys. Cody Cordy writes, uh, Hi, John. I'm so obsessed with The Five Bloods. I love this movie so much. I watched it like three times in a row. And I love the message that it shows and tells. And I predict it to become a classic in the future. Also, uh, VFW has Stephen Lang and William Slater in it. I don't know what VFW is, so I... It's a movie. It, it's yeah, it's like a these criminals lay siege to a VFW where all these old veterans are at. It's oh. actually I I really want to see. I, it looks so good. It's Wait, totally not a, Yeah. It's, it's totally not in my wheelhouse, but Tom t showed me the the trailer and it looks fucking exploitation awesome. action goodness. Well, it's got like an 80s movie. I mean, it, it, it's, was... it's kind of like an 80s roadhouse kind of yeah, movie. Yeah. Like just dudes being badasses and they're all vets and they just like, yeah. These young dudes think they're going to come and take out these old guys and not realizing that these old guys are a match for yeah. them. Hey, looks, any movie that has Stephen Lang as a badass, sign me up. Yeah. But I can see I the comparison between uh, between that and Defy uh, Bloods. Bloods, of yeah. you know, with, with the guys coming back, the Vietnam vets and... Hey, listen, yeah. Cody, thank you for... I, I hadn't even heard of this one yet. Thank you for putting it on my radar because if it's got Stephen Lang, as he likes to You'll be watch the to trailer, slang, John, and you'll be like, yeah. oh, I okay, have to I'm on board, man. <laughs> All right, uh, Drizzy Moose writes... Hey, John, love the show. I rewatch. Thank you so much for that. I rewatched Spider-Man 2 2004 and wow, definitely top 10 comic book movies ever. Oh, I agree. Spider-Man, listen, Spider-Man 2 for a long time, I, a lot of people consider it to be the greatest comic book movie ever made. It was fantastic. I love that movie with Doc Ock and all that. It, it is, it's probably still to this day. Mm, no, I was going to say, well, let's put this. I think to this day, it is the best live action Spider-Man movie. I think Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse is the best Spider-Man movie overall, but I still think to this day, um, Jersey, that Spider-Man 2 is the best live-action Spider-Man movie. I, I really, I think it's better. I love Homecoming, I do, but I think it's better than Homecoming. I think it's better than Far From Home. I think it's better than The Amazing Spider-Man. I think it's better than Spider-Man 1. I, I just think it's the best one, and it's still, to me, the gold standard of live-action Spider-Man movies, at least in my opinion. All right, final question of the day, guys. Jaron Morris writes, Okay, John, what do you think? Even though Nunez destroyed Ronda in 45 seconds, I will say that Holly Holmes was the worst, was worst, because she picked her apart piece by piece thoughts. Um, no, I, I, I still think the Ronda Rousey thing was worse because she just obliterated Ronda Rousey. Nunez outclassed Holly Holmes, yes, 
but it wasn't a complete annihilation the way she annihilated uh, Ronda Rousey, who up until that point and her loss to Holly Holmes was the most dominant female fighter ever. That crown is clearly now Amanda Nunez. And I'm not even an Amanda Nunez fan, by the way, the lioness. I'm not a big Amanda Nunez fan, but there is no doubt she is the baddest woman warrior ever to walk the earth. She, she is in such another class of her own. They don't even have anybody left for her to fight. She just fought this Saturday, the number one contender, a good Canadian girl, by the way, and just destroyed her. Like never once did the girl look like she was in the fight. That's the number one contender in the world. It's, it is crazy on how she is on such a different level than everybody else that walks the planet. It is absolutely, absolutely nuts. Anyway, guys, that will do it. For today's installment of the John Campion Show, thank you so much for being here and making this show a part of your day. Seriously, we know you guys can be doing a lot of other stuff. The fact that you choose to spend it with us here is an incredible honor and we're cognizant of that. Thank you so much for that. Special thanks to all you guys who sent in the live questions for two reasons. Number one, you gave us great fun things to talk about. But number two, you supported this channel while you did it. And all of us here on the John Campion YouTube channel, thank you guys very much for that. Of course, I want to thank my guests. It's good to have a full house again. Over here, Mr. Robert Meyer Burnett. Robert, where can people follow you and your adventures online? John, you can find me on Instagram at Robert Meyer Burnett or find me on my own YouTube channel, The Burnett Work, and my show, Observations the show about something and of course also the wonderful as we were it was pointed out the beautiful Aaron Cummings who is here Aaron where can people follow you in your adventures you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Aaron L Cummings and if you're on Twitter please let me know all of your favorite comfort food because that's all I care about right now and of course guys uh, follow me on Instagram uh, or on Facebook simply at John Campia guys thanks a lot for being here don't forget we'll be back again tomorrow make sure you subscribe to this YouTube channel go and subscribe to our podcast as well guys do the four main things stay smart stay safe take care of yourselves and most importantly take care of the people around you thanks a lot for being here guys my name's John Campia and until next time my friends bye bye <laughs>